Boom. There it is. Goes to the dynamo. Yeah, I, I get that confused. Boom, where it is. There it is. Uh, Oop, there the it dynamite is. stuff and what whatever else have you. I mean, you remember those old C and say things from from your, when your your childhood? It had the spinner and you would turn it to like a, an animal and you pull the string. Pull the string. You turn the arrow to a bomb. Whoop, the dynamite goes boom. Come on, just start the show already. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. I'm just now noticing that the bass is out of tune on that. Really? Yeah, it's a little flat. It's a little flat. At least one of the strings is. This has been almost three years and I'm just now noticing that. Uh... Oh, well... Three years, man. When I say, uh, like that on my sound uh, recording program, it looks like a little caterpillar uh, with the little waves there. That's kind of neat. Mine looks like a, a pawn from a chess set, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. Oh, yeah, and this is episode 70 of uh, Pie Factory Podcast. And um, my name is... Sh- oh, wait, no, 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 that's not, my le- that's not my name, remember? And that is... Lazy Mouth. This is Lazy, Lazy Mouth. Mouth. Yes. Remember I said that was going to be my name this week? Yes. And coming That's to you from uh, the city of Chicago. Chicago. And oh, did I? Did you see this? The most Chicago thing ever happened today. I know what you're talking yes, you about. Do. Yes. Every few hours or so, I just really quickly check ChicagoBreakingNews.com, which is basically the Chicago Tribune, they, their latest headlines. And one of them today was about how this Polish judge, he tried to run for a seat on the in, in Will County, and he lost. And it was on the Republican ticket. So what he's trying this time, he's trying to be a judge in Cook County, where I'm currently located. So he's switching over to the Democrat ticket, and he's changing his name to Shannon O'Malley. That is the, this, <laughs> tell me anything more Chicago than that. Well, you got me there. Wait, was was he was he eating an Italian beef sandwich at the time? <laughs> Good Lord. Or in Chicago, it was in the A in Chicago, it's an Italian beef sandwich. And uh, oh, by the way, who are you? I really want to know. Is, didn't we do that joke on episode one? Yeah, that was sixty nine episodes ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you know. I am Jim. <clears throat> and from uh, and and whence are you? Whence are you? Whence am I? I am apparently in the land of snowmobiles south of the Illinois River. Ah, okay, okay. And speaking of which, I don't know if I ever mentioned this before, but my first job ever was working at the Joliet Public Library, and I was one of those people who put the books back on the shelf, put them in order, and everything. And when I was doing that in the local history section once. There was a book about Joliet that I saw. It was called From Whence Came a City. And I was like, wait a minute, isn't oh. isn't that redundant? And um uh Roger, God rest his soul. Wait, actually, wait, okay, that doesn't make sense. God rest his soul. His soul is alive, his body is dead. Shouldn't I say God rest his body? I don't know. Oh well. Well, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, your soul is dead. I I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, although that is kind of on topic for tonight, uh, in a way. But I, but Roger said, oh, oh, right, 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 right. Okay. I I made the connection. But I I said that and Roger said, you know what? Yeah, you're right. If you say whence, you don't need from whence implies from. 
There we go. Whence comest thou? Yeah. So, um, anyway, um, I, I guess I'm, uh, the moderator for tonight. Mo yeah. So hard moderating one other person. I got to come up. I don't want to say host because we both host this thing. Well, don't we, don't we have other people joining us through the magic of podcasting? Do we? Through podcasting special effects? Like whom? Like, is Ferg joining us? It's a booger snot, that's for sure. And what about Phil? That is a big no-no. Yeah, see, we got other people wow. joining us tonight. So we got four people tonight, so, uh... Yeah. Oh, oh, I'll see you later, guys. Uh, so they had to go. <clears throat> Sorry about that, You guys. need to put a door-closing sound on the soundboard. That's... What do we pay Hyde for? We can't do all of his job. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, God knows when we do it sounds like garbage. You can tell that we can tell the episodes Hyde did not do for us. Oh, what podcast was it? I was listening to the other day when one of the hosts was saying about something about uh, making a, a sly jab at us. Something about uh, something about uh, not using a soundboard or something like that. Oh, I, um, was it? Was that the uh, the SNES podcast? I I heard. I don't remember. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember which podcast that was. Hmm. But, hey, um, you know what? Something that I think we should do is basically, we can't assume that everybody who's listening has been listening to us since day one. So I just kind of want to, uh, in, in case we have new listeners, <laughs> um, just give them kind of an idea of what they're in for. I mean, Jim and I, we are not experts. We're not. We don't pretend to be we try not to imply to be, we are just fans of arcade video games from the mm -hmm. golden age, especially. And, you know, we just talk about them. That's it. We, we <laughs> do our research and then we present to you, the listener, and I'm extending both of my hands out, palms up in case you can't see me doing that. We present you what we learned and what we know. I pretty much grew up in the arcade and don't get yeah. to the arcade as much as I would like to these days. And you're just the opposite. I'm just the opposite. I grew up not getting to the arcade as much as I wanted to once a month. And, uh, well, actually, I'm still getting out there once a month now that I think about it, except now I can spend all the time I want because I have more than just a $1 allowance. Now, especially because, number one, I got a gift card for Underground Retrocade for Christmas. And number two, places such as Underground Retrocade, Pixel Blast, and Galloping Ghost... It's a pay one price and play as long as you want all day. So I don't have my dad telling me, yep, time to go. Tokens are used. See, everybody says, oh, you're going to wish you were a kid again when you're an adult. No, I do not. I'm happy being an adult. Well, you don't have kids. I have a um, dog. Trust me. That's that's a handful I right there. I love my kids, but there's a lot of things about being an adult I don't like. Medical bills, for one. Bill collectors and, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, the fun stuff. Eh, if you know how to handle them, they'll go away. Especially in but this town. But then, too, though, I had a lot of... Uh, you know what? I'm not going to bring the episode down by speaking about reasons why I'm glad I'm not a kid. Yeah. And uh, we yeah, we don't we don't need this episode to go any further down than it already is. But... Uh, well... Hey, you no. know what? We got... You know what? Oh... Um, do you have, oh. do you have any news or anything that you've done recently that's worth sharing with our PFP audience with our, uh, with our, or what should we call our pie factory podcast listeners? I can, I suggested uh, online that we call ourselves the pie holes. Uh, what about the listeners? 
Ooh, hmm. excuse me. Grapefruit Shandy coming up the chest. Uh, what should we call our listeners? Um, our friends. Our friends. I like that. Our friends. So do you our have anything? Do you have any uh, news or anecdotes or anything worthy of sharing to our friends? Uh, I have anecdotes, but they're not amusing. Oh. Um, as far as what I've been playing, haven't uh, I've played the games we're talking about tonight. Uh, one of them a lot more than the other one, although I have been playing oh, them. Oh, me too. And, and um, hmm. Uh, what have I been playing? I, I, I've, oh, yeah, I've uh, been playing a, a lot of stuff on the... Uh, on my Atari 8-bit emulator. I mean, I got the Atari, my Atari 8-bit computer sitting right over here, but it's like I only got so much room to hook stuff up. I got uh, my Sega Master System and my Atari 7800 here hooked up to my little TV it's sitting right next to my computer here. I got my 5200 hooked up to the TV in the basement. But That's three I, things more hooked up than what I have. Well, yeah. But, yeah, you know, I haven't been there's playing, still only so much room. I haven't been playing much either. Um, I played in MAME the games we're talking about tonight, even though one of them is literally in my neighborhood. I've just been too lazy to walk the four blocks to get there. But the thing (laughs) is, I have been, for years, my wife and I have been wanting to just for once and for all, get this room where I am right now in shape. So I started doing Uh that. And I started moving my stuff over to what used to be my computer desk, which then became my wife's computer desk. But she no longer needs or wants a computer desk. So I'm moving my stuff back over there. And in the process, I had to disconnect my Atari stuff and I haven't reconnected it yet. And I'm get, I'm going through, ah. I'm going through withdrawal, but I'll tell you one thing that I did play that I, I really got to talk about. I've mentioned it a few times on this podcast and now I can finally speak from experience playing it. It is a new arcade game called Cosmotrons. Yes. Tell me, tell Oh, you want me to tell you? Okay. Well, Cosmotrons, it is is a work in progress. It's not, it hasn't been released yet. I think they're currently on version 0.57, but the developers of Cosmotrons and, oh, guys, I'm sorry, I forgot your names, but they have our business card at least. And by the way, they did say uh, they're willing to talk to us uh, for podcast purposes, but uh, they are doing an arcade tour in this country and they stopped at Underground Retrocade. Um, not the past weekend, but the weekend before the past. In fact, it was the day that this episode was released. No, the day that the previous episode was released. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I, my, my flux capacitor doesn't work, so that wasn't possible. But uh, I went to Underground Retrocade and checked it out. Cosmotrons, it is a vector style game. It's not an actual vector game. It's raster game, but done in vector style. And it is really sharp, too. It's basically a, it's, it's kind of like Gravatar. In fact, when I went there, I started playing. I, uh, I, I watched a few people play. I remember Jamie Tibbetts was one of them. I don't remember who else was playing. Um, but one of the, it's a multiplayer game up to four players. And uh, one of them stepped out and Jamie Tibbetts turned to me and said, Hey, you want to try it? I said, yes, I do. I said, I don't know how to play it, but I definitely want to try it. He said, it's Gravatar. Just think of it that way. But and it really is. It's like Gravatar. You thr- you thrust uh-huh. around, you shoot things, and you have to refuel. But you also have to destroy your opponents. And the last person left without being destroyed is the winner of the round. I don't remember how mm. many rounds it is. But let me tell you, it is so much fun. It is so much fun. The more people you get, the better it is. You get to 
choose a different type of ship with different capabilities based on your experience level. You can choose a, uh, like a novice ship and an expert ship. I think there are like six different ships to, to choose from. What's really cool is if you get destroyed, if, uh, you, if you lose a life, then someone, there's actually a pilot that kind of bails out of the ship. And then your next ship, if you rescue the pilot, you get some kind of a bonus. I, I wasn't able to do that successfully, so I don't know what that was. But it is so much fun. If you see Cosmotrons in your neck of the woods, try it out. They're going to be at Midwest Gaming Classic. In fact, they hope to have the actual production version there. Uh, by the way, it's got a beautiful cabinet. It's this massive white cabinet. The sound mm-hmm. on it is really astounding. It's got really good booming bass. It's got a great sound, a great musical soundtrack. I'm no, I'm normally not a big fan of constant music in a video game, but it is so good on Cosmotrons. Really is. Uh, they actually had two different Cosmotrons cabinet cabinets there. They had uh, uh, the full size one and the slightly smaller one. Uh, the bigger one had two monitors on it. They had the one that you, they had. It's kind of like how back in the golden age where some of the more popular games at the arcades, especially the uh, Bally Midway ones, they actually made special monitors for this in Dragon's Lair. You could actually, yeah. they actually have a second monitor yeah. so other people can watch. And uh, there's, there's a single player mode of um, Cosmotrons as well. And it's the way I see it is it's basically kind of a practice thing is you kind of learn how to maneuver yeah. around. You still have to shoot certain things and avoid being shot, but it's not quite as fun as the multiplayer mode. It is the multiplayer mode. That's the way to go. Get f- three other people together. If you can play multiplayer mode in that thing, it is, I, I can't, I just can't say how much fun it is. It's great. Yeah. I'm hoping they have it at Midwest gaming class. They'll so be I can there. Give it a shot. They will be, they there. will be there. Yeah. Okay. I thought they were offering. They had a, a an online version or a download. There was a do, there was it. a downloadable version of it. I that that I think it was free. I don't think you had to pay anything for it. I don't know if it's still there. Uh, if any of our friends uh, know mm-hmm. where one can get it online, please let us know. Pie Factory Podcast at Fab yeah, for only IT. if it's uh, only if it's uh, if it's legally something. yeah 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 we'll put it in the um, sh- we will link that in the show notes. There we go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm not seeing it on their website, actually. Oh, you know, I something could've... else. Something else that yes. I want to I do. I want to talk about pickups. I haven't... The only real pickup that I have so far is... Uh, I, ta- I mentioned Roof Pooper on the 7800 previous episode. I found, uh-huh. I found a bug in that, and I let Clark Otto, the developer, I let him know about that. He's like, oh, you know what? Let me fix that for you. And he sent me another copy of it. So I got that, but there's also something else that I got and I really don't remember what it was. It just came in the mail today. So I'm going to open it right now. I seriously, before we do that, um, I was just looking on uh, Cosmotron's website here Yeah, and they have a GoFundMe and, uh, you can still, you can still fund them. They had a goal of $6,396. They raised six thousand five hundred and forty-seven in eight months. Wow! By only only thirty-four people. Holy cow! Yeah, that's really good. That's like but, two, uh, that's almost two hundred bucks a pop. Yeah, uh, but uh, hey, uh, you know, go on there and uh, and uh, if you want to give the if you want to see this game, uh, go on there and uh, give them uh, give them some love and some cash. Yeah, if you donated to that and you haven't seen it yet, oh my god, you are going to be so happy you donated to it. It is such. Oh, oh what I really love guess about who, Co- oh guess who guess who donated two hundred dollars to him seven seven months ago? Doc Mac. 
Uh, well, close. Underground Retrocade. Oh, awesome. Hey, they donate to us, too. They're very Pixel, cool. Pixel Blast Pixel donated Blast. 200. Oh, my God. That is awesome. Uh, Paradise Arcade Shop, 1,000. Up, down, demo. Awesome. A lot of Great. arcades. Yeah. A lot of ground control. That's why. That's how they got it funded so fast, is all these arcades. Yeah, right. And, uh, and really good uh, ones, it. too. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. What else was I going to say? Game yeah. Grid. Yeah, I should mention, too, that there is also, like, raster-style graphics in Cosmotrons. Like, especially when your ship blows up, there's it looks like a digitized animation of, of a fireball. It looks really awesome. Like, that combination Neat. looks amazing. I have definitely got to get over there and uh, or get over to play uh, Cosmotrons when it's uh, at Midwest Gaming Classic. Oh, yeah, yeah. I still right. got to get my hotel. I'm all set. I've been yeah, set, well, I've been set for months. I gotta wait for my tax refund. And let's see what else. I'm still trying to open so, this. Yes. Oh my god, this is great! Oh, what is it? Now I remember. When I was probably twelve or thirteen years old, a Christmas present I got from my parents. I didn't ask for it, but I got it. It was a pair of craft joysticks for Atari, and I really liked them a lot. And for and they just disappeared over the years. So I found one on eBay, and um, it arrived. And I'm just so happy. It's like the same one. It has a four way, eight way switch that, if I remember correctly, does nothing helpful. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, I really did like this joystick so much back uh, when I was in the initial Atari era. So I'm I'm really excited to have this thing again. So, anything, any other news we should talk about? No, absolutely nothing happened happened in the gaming world in the last two weeks. Absolutely oh, really? nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. Nothing. Nothing at all. So, yeah. I mean, no, it's been so... There weren't any controversies been, or anything? No. Um, yeah, Nolan Bushnell was not accused of uh, of uh, of sexism and uh, sexual assault or whatever back By in the 70s. By somebody who wasn't even involved. By somebody who wasn't even involved and, uh, and did a little and digging by on those the who were involved, ste- those women who were involved stepped forward and said, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. And apparently this uh, person that was accusing Bushnell, yeah, he was, Nolan Bushnell was supposed to get an award by, what was it, the Game Developers Conference or something like that? I, for it's the someone I never heard Pioneer. of until this whole thing came yeah. out. Uh, so they're supposed to, he was supposed to get it for like the Video Game Pioneer Award or whatever. Yeah. And then this person who's... Uh, <clears throat> running for Congress in Massachusetts, I might add, accused said that uh, oh, given the, uh, the the way Atari was run back in the seventies, uh, you know, yeah, all according to an stuff. interview we read from seven years ago, yeah, so in which, uh, in which Bushnell uh, talked about the debauchery that happened at Atari, and so yeah, uh, what happens is uh, so uh, based on this uh, person and a couple of other people uh, spoke out about it too. Like, oh, they took the award away from him. Basically, he's decided not to give it to him. Well, and, they said, uh, we don't think that now is the appropriate time, which I can kind of see, like, if they're raising a big stink about it, because with the way the way the the cult, the atmosphere is these days, they probably want to wait. Perhaps, but they should have also talked to the people who were involved in Atari yeah. back then. Who said, yeah, these women, these women who said, yeah, he's right, all this debauchery was happening, but... All of it, it was consensual. It was consensual. None, exactly. none of us felt threatened. None of us felt like we were in any danger if we didn't. Oh yeah, and uh, this uh, the the person who uh, who who started the ball rolling on getting the award way away from Bushnell was uh, also said I think about a year ago that uh, yeah it was uh, warning about throwing rocks off the moon and how they would. Uh, 
you know, hurt the earth if they hit the earth. Yeah, this person also writes a gaming column in a Mac magazine, and rarely does it actually talk about gaming. (laughs) Yeah, and... uh, I know because I subscribe to it. (laughs) Even though I'm not familiar with all any with much of anything with it this person was uh firmly ensconced in the uh the gamergate uh controversy yeah, a few I, years ago yeah that that, I, that I really is its don't own know. mess that i don't even want to touch i just want to you know i don't even I, I i don't even know a whole lot that's going that went on with that i know maybe a few details but i saw a few details of like yeah i'm gonna just leave this one alone yeah i mean i just just one thing i just want to disclaim i absolutely despise sexual harassment, any kinds of attacks toward mm-hmm. women or anybody really. So, you know, I'm, the, you know, we're, j- we're just really saying what we know, what we've seen yeah. and th- that's it. That's it. Um, and I think it's best if we just kind of put it into it there, unless you have like anything further to. Well, all, all I'm really going to say is one person did say that she knew of one account back from Atari way back when that could be considered sexual harassment or whatever and nolan bushnell was not involved in that situation okay so but uh there's you know what there's plenty of other places you can hear about this yeah and it's just bad news on atari altogether because we heard some bad news about another atari founder yeah ted dabney he's apparently uh uh not doing very well i think he's got some kind of terminal illness is, is it cancer uh, I think it was esophageal cancer. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And, yeah. Yeah. It's like he's got like six or seven months to live. I, from what Man. I understand. Yeah. Can- yeah. I hate cancer. I really do. But yeah, uh, cancer is a bastard, and uh, no. I'm hoping I never have to deal yeah. with it. But uh, let's see. Do we have any uplift? Any uplifting news? Um, um, let's see. Hmm. We got the Todd Rogers thing. Oh, uh, that's pretty up. It's uplifting oh, yeah. depending on how you. F- it's either uplifting or off pissing well, depending on how um, you feel. Well, actually, uh, if you saw the video of of Dragster, there is uh, by doing certain uh, certain movements on the joystick, the engine of the drags uh, the Dragster does lift up off the ground. So does that count? That's lifting I, up though. That's not uplifting. Well, hmm. it's the car was uplifted. Well, that's true. That's true. Everybody knows about that by now. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna get into all the yeah. details other than the thing. Other than Todd to say, Rogers basically yeah. faked a bunch of scores on the Twin Allegedly, Galaxy scoreboard. Well, they've they've actually proved uh, a couple of them are absolutely impossible. Well, he had yeah, a score. I knew about the barnstorming one because someone actually hacked barnstorming to remove all the well, obstacles. Well, there was another one. Uh, he he has the world high score on uh, supposedly on Wabbit, and uh, which is. Uh, a, a 2600 game yeah. and the score is impossible because of a bug that uh, crashes the game. Oh, that's the one. Okay. But yeah, the thing and is what happened was long story short, twin galaxies back in the summer instituted a dispute system. So if you see a score that you want to question, you click the dispute link and you, and you state your case and then, you know, they, they look into it. I think people vote on to whether or not to agree with the dispute or not. Kind of like how they accept a, uh, uh, score submissions now, and that's how it happened. The guy who disputed it, an astonishing coincidence, now is actually the record holder for Dragster. And because <laughs> of the strict rules at Twin Galaxies, basically, if they have reason to believe you cheated, you're banned for life and your scores are taken down. They didn't, it wasn't that like they were overdoing, they're going overboard for Todd Rogers. They were simply following their own rules. Right. Which actually, Todd Rogers praised them for that. Yeah, I did see that. He said, I disagree with your removal of my scores, but I do like that they're actually 
doing something when they're actually taking action when someone raises this raises a stink. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I know what people are saying. Oh, Twin Galaxies is a it was a it's all clickish. I I really don't know. Yes, I have scores on Twin Galaxies. Do I get involved with the community? Hell no, hell no. I use it as a scoreboard to put mm-hmm. my scores up and hopefully to encourage friendly competition because I like that. I like competition. Right. Yeah. There's a. It, 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 this was a huge thing. It's been building for a while, about a year now, maybe. And yeah. uh, it got to the point where they got Ben Heck involved. Uh, for people that don't know, Ben Heck is a master hacker of uh, old video game uh, systems. He made, <laughs> he's done everything for making a portable Atari Twenty Six Hundred, a handheld, the first one that actually took the actual cartridges, yeah. and uh, all the way to making a gigantic sized. Uh, Game Boy. <laughs> yeah, we saw that in person. That thing is freaking oh, hysterical. I want one of those. If, if for nothing else, <laughs> if for nothing else, that would be an awesome decoration to have on your wall. But the thing is, though, this the Todd Rogers thing. It's nothing new. There have been people arguing about that for years. For but years, they, they got they got. But basically, all of his scores were wiped out. Uh, a couple of them have been proven to be one hundred percent impossible. Really, I mean. There was a part of the story where he was actually a, a Twin Galaxies uh, a, a ref, a, a ref, and he was allowed to enter his own scores. That's, I mean, that's that's conflict, conflict of, interest. of interest right there. And yeah, all and of those scores that he entered at that point should definitely be erased, just because again, conflict of interest. In fact, yeah, if you're gonna have, that's why there needs to be multiple scoreboards. That way, you could actually have your score on another one. And keep sure. the uh, you know the other one pure, which is why I'm glad there's uh, there's Orcade. And you were saying there's another one. Yeah, Highscore.com. Uh, Highscore.com, which it's, is oh, that's still... only about a year or two too old. There are hardly any records on it right now, which is why I don't really mention it on the when I talk about high scores. I'm definitely so, going to participate, and it looks it looks like they have a lot of fun on there. And the I need to is, uh, I, check that one out. I have I have no comment to make on the validity of any of those scoreboards as I see it. To me, they're just scoreboards. They have their own rules. And yeah, I know Twin Galaxies has its faults. Uh, For example, uh, apparently when Twin Galaxies first went online, a lot of the scores were literally copied from magazines. Mm -hmm. Old video game magazines say, hey, here are the current high scores from these video games. And of course, a lot of them were inaccurate. But wasn't apparently- there that one that had the impossible uh, Pac-Man score? Oh yeah, I saw, I saw one for like six million. It's like no, unless you had access to the dip switches and were able to skip the two hundred and fifty-six level, then you couldn't possibly have done that. It was impossible. Mm-hmm. But apparently, like when it went online first, Walter was at Walter Day was actually copying the scores from those magazines just to populate the database, and that's why there's there's so many qu- of questionable accuracy. On the one hand, I can understand why he sure. why he would do that. Yeah, because you, you want you you know you kind of want to get the ball rolling. That's why you know if you're a piano player at a piano bar or whatever, you put a dollar or two in the tip ch- the tip jar just to get you know just to get things started, so people can see that oh maybe you know you know donate a few bucks because it looks like someone else did. You and know, because so you're that's, dying that's to hear a piano man. Exactly. So I mean, I can understand that, but uh, you know, those scores should have. A lot of the, I'm not. I'm sure a lot of those scores were legit. Oh sure, but I mean, yeah, a lot I of them no, needed to be vetted too, though. I have no doubts about Todd Rogers' game playing skills at all. I have no doubts. And I, as for the scores, I don't. I really don't know if they're possible. Apparently, the 
the way that people found out about Dragster and used that as arguments, they were using emulators, though, which I kind of question. They didn't use any real consoles as far as I know. I thought they did use consoles. I, 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 as far as I know, mind you, I could be wrong, but hey, what, whatever. I have, I, Todd, I have absolutely no interest one way or other in Todd Rogers. I don't like him. I don't dislike him. He's just a guy. Yeah, he's just a guy, but what he did does kind of throw the whole Twin Galaxies scoreboard into a question, though, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've met, uh, what's his, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on names. Who's the, the, the guy that runs Twin Galaxies? Jace Hall. Oh, it's not, what's his name anymore? Oh, God, the guy we met. Um, Dr. Philip Un. Uh, who runs Twin Galaxies? It was... Um, Jace Hall runs Twin Galaxies. I just said that. But who... who but what's his, what, what's his name <laughs> used to run? I think before Jace Hall, it was Robert Mruchek. But, but the guy who started it all. I am intentionally I? making you struggle, by the way. No, it was Walter Day. He hasn't been in charge... Walter of, Day. He hasn't been in charge of Twin Galaxies in years. Really? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. Well, okay. Well, uh, that's understandable. Though. I mean, I think we, he still has. I think Walter he still Day. has oh, a geez. lot of. He still has a lot of I mean, sway. I think, but yeah. Uh, but the thing, and the thing about this incident is that basically, Twin Galaxies is doomed. Period. No matter what, if they would, they would have said, you know what, we we don't have enough evidence to overturn Todd Rogers' scores. We're going to leave him up. That would have doomed them. Yeah, they it's, decided. It's a, you know what, Todd Rogers, we think he cheated. We're taking all his scores down. That doomed them. So they were. It was damned if they do, damned if they don't. So, because you're. Because there. There is a huge, huge division. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that though, because I think them taking all those scores down makes it seem like that they know that there's a problem, and then they're actually in the process of trying to address some of those issues. That's what uh, I'm it thinking. It might take. It might take a long time for the trust to be built back up. It always takes time for trust to be built back up. Of course. But, uh, they're down, but they're not out. Let's let, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. They're still going to... I don't think they're going away anytime soon. I'll put it to you no. that way. You know what? No matter what, there's always going to be controversy. You know? yeah. when, um, when Galloping Ghost bought uh, Orcade, oh, there yeah. was a controversy around that. Yeah, and because... I totally it, understand why. Yeah, but, and uh, yeah, because d- basically, hey, if you set a record at Galloping Ghost, even if... You, the, I was talking to a guy who was like, yeah, even if you have a video, I'm not going to believe it because videos can be doctored. Well, yeah, it's true, but I think it, t- it takes more effort to doctor a video than it does to doctor a photo. Oh, and speaking of doctoring videos, there's even more controversy, of course, from yeah, another I, famous I don't gamer. understand this one. Um, all right, I'll, I'll try to explain it to you uh, the best I can. Mind you, I don't know all the technicalities either, but this is what well, I understand. I, I think that's where I'm failing, too. But I, I, I guess I sort of understand... But it, it, I don't know. Go ahead. Okay. Try to I believe it's me. I believe it's the Donkey Kong forums website that has taken down a lot of Billy Mitchell's record scores. Basically, I thought they only took one down. I don't know how many. They, and that was the that, was, and I think that was the one that well that was uh, the mysterious tape that arrived in the during the movie uh, King of Kong. Apparently, there were several of those things. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not. Basically, know that. here's the story. This is what I understand. Yeah. Again, I might be getting some details wrong, but. Donkey Kong forums in their scoreboard, they have uh, taken out all of Billy Mitchell's scores that I think are a million or higher simply because, well, I shouldn't say simply because, and I'll say the scores that have been verified that he submitted that scored a million or higher, 
they believe came from a MAME recording and not from actual arcade cabinet gameplay. Could he have submitted the scores to a MAME track? Perhaps, but here's the thing. He was presenting them as arcade machine scores. His claim was that the machine he was using had a hack on it where you could actually feed the video directly into a recorder rather than just having a camcorder go through the air like most people usually do. And those scores were accepted. And of course, this is kind of weird because Billy Mitchell is known for saying, oh, score doesn't matter unless it's done live. He said, you see that scene in the movie King of Kong where he actually says that. And then what happens at that tournament? They open up a videotape of Billy's playing Donkey Kong. And now, did Billy actually submit that video, or did somebody else submit it in his name? It was the Cubert champion. He gave it to her and said, he, he said, wait for my call, or something like that, or or call me um, after Steve plays, and I'll tell you what to do. So she called hmm. She called Billy. He said, okay, hand over the tape. Or I think, if, I haven't seen the movie I'd in a long time. I'd have to go time. that again, because I almost wonder if maybe there might be some sort of a setup there, too. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Just speculating. But yeah, I mean... Because the, the one thing with Billy Mitchell is this whole issue disregarded. He is an incredibly skilled player. Abs- There's no absolutely. doubt about that. Same with Todd, just like with Todd Rogers. But here's the thing with Billy Mitchell, though. There's a belief that he had a whole backlog of games in which he scored like really, really high scores and just waiting to submit them, waiting for someone to claim the world record... And then oh, he could just go to his I library, pull, but which is fine, which really, I mean, there's nothing technically wrong with it. It's uh, just a little bit that, devious. Yeah, that's, uh, I hate to say it. That's kind of a dick move. It is, but you know, but here's where, here's where the controversy comes in. Somebody looked at the videos and slowed the videos down and found that the way that the graphics were generated, that the boards were generated in the video didn't match how the boards are generated on an actual Donkey Kong machine. On an actual Donkey Kong machine, the levels are rendered from left to right. In MAME, in MAME, however, the levels are rendered by objects. Like you'll see all the ladders rendered, and then you'll mm-hmm. see like the girders rendered, and then you'll see like Donkey Kong. Like basically, the various types of objects are rendered instead of left to right. And they found allegedly that in the video, that things were being rendered in groups, and they're like, wait a minute, this is MAME. And for I'm, all we I know... Would, uh, the, the Donkey Kong forums had uh, some animated GIFs to explain this, yeah. or GIFs. Um, I would actually just like to see the vid- the actual video slowed, excuse me, slowed down to, to, so I could see that better, because I, I think the animated, uh, the animated GIFs uh, may have muddied the water a little bit. For at least to me, at least to me. By the way, friends, Jimmy G is pronouncing GIFs correctly. The The creator of that graphic format yep. has said it is pronounced GIF. So yep. there you go. And, uh, but, but yeah. Now I want peanut butter. And nobody has ever seen Billy Mitchell score a million or higher. He's only, the only evidence that ever happened was on video. Hmm. They've seen him score like 800,000, 900,000, but not as high as uh, he was claiming. So that's something right there. Now, as far as I'm aware, Billy Mitchell hasn't addressed this yet, correct? Um, he did. He did. Th- oh, he did sort he? Of did. I, I don't know the whole story. Uh, yesterday, actually, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, February 7th. On the evening of February 6th, 
Richie Knuckles was actually hosting a video conference with Billy Mitchell and the I, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I was kind of, I was reading the comments in the Facebook thread, the mm-hmm. live comments, and all the comments were like saying, so basically he's telling us nothing at all. Yeah. What, what is everybody saying? Don't read the comments, but uh, mm-hmm. apparently what, and the thing is Richie Knuckles had posted earlier in the day. He said, I have a huge revelation I'm going to be making today. And I don't think he ever did. I think, cause I, I he's, he posted later. He's like, sorry, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it tonight, folks, but you know, there were technical difficulties and blah, blah, blah. So I couldn't make my big reveal. So, so hmm. I, I don't know what that was all about, but apparently the video, which they were talking to Billy, I, I, I don't think it really said anything. Hmm. Interesting. But again, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what's going on. I don't know if Billy's a cheat. I don't know that he's not. All I know is that from when Jim and I met Billy Mitchell, he was a really nice guy and he was Freaking hysterical to talk to, too. He had a lot of awesome stories. As I, as I mentioned before, uh, everything about Billy Mitchell is big. He's tall. He's got big hair. He's got a big personality. Yep. Now, it can be mistaken for arrogance or <laughs> ego or whatever. But uh, I'm sure he's you know, got If you have a some, question but... for him, if you got a question for him, you just want to talk to him, he's, he was always willing to, uh, to talk to people and uh, always seemed like a real nice guy. And the thing with, uh, the thing with Billy... After uh, we met him at uh, Underground Retrocade, I was helping him and Walter Day carry stuff out to the car, to their car, and we got talking a little more. And he just, to me, he seems like a real nice guy. Granted, I don't know him. I just met him the one time. But, you know, I can only uh, talk about what I know, and uh, which is really apparently not quite a lot. So, so yeah, anyway, that's all we got to say. Apparently, Billy is in talks of being banned from Twin Galaxies. I don't know what I, yeah, we said he's a nice guy from what we met. And to me, if you're a nice guy, that's the first thing that I care about. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Other than that, I have no opinion about Billy Mitchell. He's an excellent game player. He's got his, he's got skill. That's for sure. And that's it. Is he lying? I don't know. Is he cheating? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm not Billy. I can't say. Neither him or nor Todd Rogers murdered anyone in my family, so there's that. So far, yeah, yeah. As far as, yeah, but uh, oh, th- something interesting. Uh, when Billy Mitchell was at Underground Retrocade, I asked him. I said, "Hey, but I noticed that like in the documentaries that you're in, you're listed as Bill Mitchell, but people call you Billy Mitchell." I said, "Which one are you really?" He said, "Well, I actually I prefer Bill, but Walter started calling me Billy, and it just kind of caught on." Ah. Interesting. You know, I'm looking at a thread. Uh, I I don't know if you're a, a friend of him, but uh, uh, there's, there's a there's a guy. Uh, you know, I'm not going to give him give the name out, but uh, he's a friend of Billy Mitchell, and him and Joel West are are talking talking yeah. about this whole thing. And it's 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 on. I really don't know what to think on this one. I think the Todd Rogers thing is more open and closed than the Billy Mitchell one is. But yeah, uh, you know what? We need to move on from this now. Yeah, um, I totally agree. Is he a jerk? He might be. I don't know. Is Todd Rogers a jerk? He might be. I don't know. I, 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 We know neither of those guys. We've never met Todd Rogers. We met Bill Mitchell briefly, and that's just about it. So there's that. So anyway, I think that's about it. Uh, should we just go straight into, um, unfortunately, Addenda and Arata? A&E. And of course, by A&E, we are talking about Addenda and Arata because uh, we forgot some stuff. Yeah, we did. And by we, I mean I, because as far as I know, all of the Addenda and Arata 
come from uh, our talk about Bosconian, of which I was in charge. Mm-hmm. We heard from our friend Vert Vic uh, from Ten Pence Arcade. He said, I didn't really make this clear, but he says, and he's absolutely right, if you let the spy ship get away, it will bring on Condition Wed. <laughs> we reckon it's full of cayenne pepper. Spice ship. Spy ship. Spice ship. See what he did there? I see. Yeah. I was trying to ignore it, but I see. Yeah, me too. I was. I, I, I do my best to ignore things, but hey, what are you going to do? Uh, what else? Uh, oh, he also says, Bosconian, and this is something I didn't mention, uh, Bosconian has very distinctive ROM versions too. Easier and difficult versions and single shot and auto fire versions. And yeah, that's absolutely true. There are several different versions. In fact, the version that I have loaded up on my GPDXD is totally different from the one that I was running in MAME on my laptop and the one that I played at Underground Retrocade. And the, basically the uh, space stations are aligned in a different pattern from what I can tell. I haven't really dug into a lot of the other differences, but I'm sure there are a lot of other differences. Mm-hmm. There could be. Could be, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, thank you, uh Vic for all that. Uh, what else? Oh yeah, um, I read uh, when we were talking about the Easter egg. Um, I kind of said the Easter egg activation wrong. I think I got the the pattern slightly off a little bit. So I would like to uh, right now correct that. Um, I forgot to pull it up, so I'm trying to talk to stall while I pull up the correction. What you do is, uh, the Easter egg, what you do is you put the, you go into the dip switch settings, you put the game in service mode, and then you hold down fire button one, and while you hold down the fire button, you press up five times, right six times, down once, and then left four times. I think I said you push up six times. No, it's five times. And uh, when you do that, you'll see a Namco copyright notice suddenly appear on the screen. Exciting. Exciting. Ah, yeah. But, um, any who, what else was there? That's, uh... I think uh, that's it. No, there's more. <laughs> oh? I totally forgot to mention that apparently when Bosconian first came out, there were actually strategy guides available on the cabinets themselves. There was actually a really? little book holder. Yeah. And you could pull out these little pamphlets that were strategy guides. I've, Didn't I, we talk about another game that had that? I think you did, didn't you? Um... Damn I if I can remember what it was. Things. I was not I've able to find one, I've heard of another game that though. did that. Yeah, I totally knew about it. I just totally forgot to mention it. It wasn't in my dummy notes, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, the other thing I, I totally left out, I talked about the scanner, which is basically like your radar, kind of like what they have in Defender. I said that all it really shows you is where the space stations are. It will also show you if the enemy rockets are... In a formation, it'll show you where they are located. And there's also a little indicator that tells you what type of formation they're in, whether it's a straight line or an X or whatever. There we go. Do you have anything for a Dunder no, and Arata? No, I do not. Oh, my. Hmm. Ooh, well, then, I guess uh, we can go ahead and talk about um, a game or two. Sure. Because uh, we already talked about two gamers, so let's talk about a game or two. See what uh, I did there? There you did what I see. Aha. Indeed. So, hey, um, I will, I, I, I'm very indecisive, which is why I always let you pick. Should we talk about uh, the game that I researched or the game that you researched? You know, um, let's talk about my game first, uh, and I have a reason for that. Oh, do tell. 
Yeah, uh, I don't want to tip the uh, the hand of the, the theme too early, so let's talk about <clears throat> Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Huzzah! Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Yes, it's a Sega game from 1990. Yeah, there you go. My, there you go. Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. It's Sega game, 1990, based on the short film... Uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, which, interestingly, I have never seen. But me uh, neither. There you go. I, I don't was think actually I've going... seen any any of the movies on which any of our, the, any game that we talked about that's based on a movie. I don't think I've ever seen any of the movies except Terminator Two: Judgment Day, which I saw after we talked about it. Mm, yeah, same here. Hmm. Although I saw T Two before the game, greatest action movie of all time, I might add. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's uh, Sega 1990. It is a upright raster graphics game. It's a three players at the same time game. The board is laid out in three quarter perspective. Object of the game is to save the children from Mr. Big and ultimately defeat Mr. Big. Uh, the game is has five rounds, which we'll get to in a moment, and each is divided into three stages. And by the way, this is uh, there's another game out there that actually has a Mr. Big character. Yes, Narc. Narc. Yes. Yeah, and we you we met, met the Mr. guy who was, I met Mr. Who was Big. the model for Mr. Big. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't. I was there, but I didn't meet him. He also modeled several other characters in that game, which <laughs> yes, I don't think it's we have right. Narc on our yeah. uh, Narc on our uh, spreadsheet. I will have to fix that. So at any rate, the uh, the controls, it's a one eight way joystick for each player and two buttons. One of them is an attack button. And the other is a dance magic button, which I don't know if it's labeled dance magic, but it's magic or something like that. This is interesting. Uh, three players at the same time, but you each play as Michael Jackson. So Michael clones himself. But you can tell the difference because the left player, Michael, dresses in white. The middle player, Michael Jackson, dresses in blue. And the right player, Michael Jackson, dresses in black. There's no difference in any any stats or attributes for any of the uh, any three of the Michael Jackson characters. It don't matter if you're black or white. Hey, 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 or blue. That was the you're easy welcome. joke. The easy joke to make. Easy, non-controversial joke. The uh, the screen, as I was saying, the game's three quarters perspective. Before each round, it'll show you like a little uh, comic book uh, representation of the story and the level you're on, and then followed by a map of of said level, and then you get into the playing. At the bottom of the screen. Each player has an energy meter. You could take several hits before uh, before uh, Michael Jackson loses a life. And uh, several hits of what, like acid or something? Oh, of course. And then uh, there's a couple of icons at the bottom of the screen that tells you how many uh, dance magic uh, power up, well, powers that you have you can use. They look kind of like Michael Jackson <laughs> for obvious reason. And each player is given two dance magic icons at the start of each. What was the start of each level, I believe it was? Or each round, each round. Sound? Uh, Michael Jackson's involved with this, so you, yeah, you got to expect there to be music. Uh, first stage is uh, of the game is a cavern, is a caverns, and uh, the song that plays during the background of that one is bad. What's wrong with it? No, it's even worse. Um, oh! <laughs> stage two is the amusement quarter. And uh, the song that plays in the background of that is Smooth Criminal. And ever since we decided we were going to talk about this game, ever since we announced we were going to talk about this game, I have mm-hmm. had that damn song stuck in my head. 
the entire two weeks. But not the Michael Jackson uh, version. It was the Alien Ant Farm version of the song that's been stuck in my head. Uh, which actually Alien is pretty good. Alien Ant Farm version. Yeah, there's a band called Alien Ant Farm. The only hit they had was a cover of Smooth Criminal. And it's really good, actually. Let me see. The third screen is Night Street, which it's like downtown or whatever. And then there's uh, the parking garages and stuff you got to get through. And no, no, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm confusing that with the uh, one of the uh, quote unquote ports. I don't remember that. But anyway, this third stage is called Night Street. The song that plays in the background is Beat It. Uh, the fourth stage is a graveyard. And the song that plays in the background there is another part of me, which I don't I'm not familiar with that one. Maybe yeah, if I heard it, it's maybe probably if from I, is it from bad? Maybe it might be. I, you know, it is very possible I could be familiar with it. I just don't remember it. But with a Michael Jackson song, not remembering a Michael Jackson song, that's got to be punishable under some international law or something. I don't know. Stage five, the final stage is Mr. Big's Fortress. Oh, it is from uh, bad, by the way. It is. All right. There we, well, there you go. Stage five is Mr. Big's Fortress, and the song that plays in the background of that one is bad. And at the end of the game, it plays Billie Jean at the end of the game, where it tells what Michael's been up to after the oh, end of the game. that and, is and so poignant, like by the way. I'll tell you why, like, later. Oh, really? Uh, well, no, I'll tell you why right now. Like, because Billie Jean... Well, what's the name of this game? Moonwalker. Yeah, Moonwalker. <laughs> and Billie Jean is the song that Michael Jackson sang, well, lip-synced or something to on the Motown 25 special. And that's when he demonstrated his moonwalk for the first time in public, as far as I know. Oh, really? It was when he was doing Billie Jean, yeah. So that might be why that was saved for that level. And something else interesting about the the moonwalk, uh, as I talk about power-ups, if you hold the the attack button down... Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, Michael Jackson moonwalks, and it charges up his attack. Which, that kind of threw me off, because when he moonwalks, it looks like he's moving forward, but he's moving backwards at the same time. And I always thought, when that happened, he changed direction, you know, and he was going to do his attack the opposite direction, but instead, no, he was still going to do the direction, the, or the attack the direction he was facing. It kind of threw me off a bit, but once I figured that out, I, you know, it wasn't too bad. Now, as far as, uh, far as other power-ups go, uh, the children, when you collect them, sometimes they will give you points. Sometimes they'll regenerate health, and I could have sworn I did see that they will sometimes give you an extra dance magic. Uh, I could be wrong on that one, but I could have sworn I saw that. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure people will. And eventually, uh, during the game, you will see Bubbles the Chimp. Yes, Michael's famous (laughs) pet. Touching Bubbles turns Michael into (laughs) Robo-Michael. Michael can, at that point, shoot lasers and missiles, and he can also take more hits from the enemies. Apparently, you can only go into a boss battle if you're playing one player when you're uh, Robo-Michael. When you're playing multiple people, only one person can collect bubbles and turn into Robo-Michael. So hmm. you got that going against you. See what I did there? Now, I'm not going to go down all of the enemies and the scoring. game like this, it's really pretty much uh, pointless to go through the scoring. But, I mean, it's it's typical, like, gangsters. There's some robots. Um uh, zombies at one point, and of course, Mr. Big and other boss uh, enemies. No sequels to this game, none whatsoever. And um, interesting, we're talking about ports here. There are technically no home ports of this game. However, every home version of Moonwalker 
are all adaptations of the Moonwalker film and not the arcade game. Like the Genesis and Master System version play, in my opinion, closer to uh, elevator action. And it also includes uh, a jump button, uh, something I think the arcade game could have used. I actually prefer the Master System version over the uh, over the Genesis version. And there was a reason, and I don't remember what it was off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, because I felt it was actually easier to go up and down these stairs in the Sega Master System version of Moonwalker mm. than it is in the Genesis version. And there are also various home computer adaptations of the of the film, including the Amstrad CPC, Atari ST, Commodore 64, the Amiga uh, is also on the MS-DOS, MSX, and ZX Spectrum. Trivia about the game. Now, I wonder how true this is, um, but it's apparently the game concept and design was by Michael Jackson himself. I, I don't know how much I believe that. Now, I do know that Michael Jackson was a huge fan of Sega. He was a big Sonic the Hedgehog fan and all that. So, you know, who knows? It could be true. I, I don't know how much I buy it, though. The reason that I believe that he absolutely had at least a little bit of influence in the game is that there's so much of him in the game. There really is. Especially, well, I mean, like, true. His we- what's his weapon? Magic? Well, yeah, per- like, he doesn't actually physically attack anybody. Which was actually in my notes here. He doesn't actually make contact. It's a beat up game without any technical beating up. It could just be stuff that, you know, the, the programmers yeah. put in due to the license or, like, a strict licensing thing. But I don't know. I mean, you're right. It is entirely possible. Um, I don't think he was, uh, Michael Jackson was... Of course, I mean, when it says game design, maybe he drew up storyboards sure, yeah. and stuff, too, and just... A, a list, like an outline of what he wants to do and stuff, too. It doesn't mean he actually well, did I don't, any No, I don't think he actually did so, anything technical. I seriously doubt he would. Or, or even, like, sit down, like, yeah, so maybe he, uh, so, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. You take it out of the technical realm and into the uh, the realm of art, which Michael Jackson, you know, say what you will about him, and a lot of people do. He was a great singer, great musician, and uh, he, he, uh, he really knew how to play to the camera too. Oh, yeah. So, you know, his he, his music videos of the at back way back when were second Absolutely. to none. And might I add here, uh, watch the Angry Video Game Nerd uh, review of uh, Moonwalker on the Sega Genesis. Uh, he delivers a lines like, "Yeah, we know all of the jokes and stories about Michael Jackson." This is a paraphrase of what the AVGN said. But back in the eighties, he was oh he was hell the yeah sh- hell yeah yeah. So uh, there was there was no one that was more popular. I would say though, I do think the album Off the Wall was better than Thriller. But that's I had just me. a but Thriller yeah, was someone still excellent. I'm, I've been friends with for a while. Posted on Facebook, he said, "What's better, Off the Wall or Thriller?" I don't think there's an answer to that because I listened to both of them back to back when he posted that. They're both artistically uh-huh. great albums. They're both very dated true. too. They're yeah, both true. equally dated. Yeah, I think if anything, you could say that Off the Wall is maybe a little bit more artistic, while Thriller is a little bit more commercial. Actually, True. it's a lot more commercial. All I know is that way back when this album was popular, I would find myself listening to WLS AM oh, 890 too. in Chicago on my little radio when I was working on my little model train set, and it seemed like every other song was either Michael Jackson or Genesis, and I was in hog heaven. Oink, oink. Having loved being a huge fan of Genesis and a fan of Michael Jackson, so I can't say I was a huge fan of Michael Jackson, but I was Christmas a fan. Christmas in 1983, I gotta tell this, because I, I love telling this story. Uh, I really wanted badly the Qbert 
cartridge for Atari 2600, and I got it, and I was really happy about it, and I played it, and I liked it. So after we opened up our, our presents on Christmas morning, we usually do Christmas Eve, but Christmas morning was for when Santa comes, and even though I didn't believe in Santa Claus, I still had to play along. But anyway, uh, after I opened the presents from Santa, I'm upstairs. I had just taken a shower. I was getting ready for family to come over, and I'd just gotten dressed. My dad came into my room. He said, hey, we forgot to give you a present, and uh, he handed it to me. It was obviously a record album, and I don't remember if it was wrapped in aluminum foil or just very silver wrapping paper, and it was Thriller, and I oh, nice. played the hell out of that. I still have it too, and I'm surprised it's in really good shape because how much I played it on a crappy turntable. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was. Oh wow! I I was all about Michael Jackson for the longest time. It was he was my idol in 1983, and he was the coolest thing in the world. And there's one there's a white elephant that I have to address, and of course it's the accusations against Michael Jackson. Uh, the way that I see it, and I've talked to other people, and they kind of agree with me. In fact, I think it was my wife who first brought this up. The first accusation against him. What happened? They settled it out of court. He basically paid hush money. Said, here's X number of mm-hmm. million dollars. Get out of here. Shut up. I have a feeling he was advised to do that rather than fight it. Because if he fought it, that would have been a long, drawn-out court case. And he would have True. been... It, it just wouldn't have looked good. Other people said, hmm, let's see if I can get some money from Michael Jackson. They saw a dollar sign exactly. like in the old old Warner Brothers cartoons. And what really drove that home for me was I was talking to my mom once. She said, hey, you were a huge Michael Jackson fan. Why don't you see if you can get a chunk of that? Why don't you say that you, st- that you stayed over at his home? Wow. <laughs> I mean, maybe jokingly. I right, hope she was, so. saying, she, she was saying that jokingly. Yeah. But yeah, I, and considering that he... He was sued three times, and three times he was found not guilty. So 36 people found him not guilty. I mean, I I don't know if I'm willing to believe any of the accusations. And I'll tell you this, something else that kind of helps me think that he was probably not guilty at all. I saw, uh, remember the documentary, This Is It? Uh, I Vaguely, I don't think I've ever seen okay. it. Well, it's the... Uh, It was a film that came out, I think, against the Jackson family's wishes, but it was a film that came out that was supposed to be a documentary of his final tour, but it ended up being just the rehearsals, of course, because he died before the tour could kick off. And uh, my wife and I were out eating at uh, at a place that was in the same building as a movie theater, and they were showing This Is It. And my wife said, you want to go see This Is It while we're here? I said, you know what? Yeah, let's check it out. And... The whole thing about how he was saying all the time, he's like, well, yeah, I have kids over because, you know, it's my, it's my childhood. I never had a chance to have a childhood because I was always, which is true, you know, and I totally believe that because if you watch, this is it. He is totally a kid. He seriously is in that. Like they were almost having to babysit him. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know. What yeah, really, I could, I could, I could see that. And just on the subject, and I'll stop talking about the movie. But what really blew both of our minds is that here's Michael Jackson, fifty years old, literally days away from death, and he's got backup dancers half his age. They could not freaking keep up with him. They couldn't. Wow. Yeah. That that definitely does not surprise me. He was a he was a dancing fool. Yeah. And of course, the thing that I the hell shut up siri siri shut up i didn't call for you 
<laughs> anyway, um, what was I saying? Did I say a courtesy of speak English? Oh, yeah. Uh, you were getting serious there. <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, he, he was just mad talented. And the thing that I learned, actually, the moonwalk, that was not invented by Michael Jackson. That, that does not surprise that me. Was a, he just perfected yes, it. Yes, that was a Jackie Wilson move. And Michael Jackson was a huge fan of Jackie Wilson. He was his uh-huh. idol. And I saw a clip of Jackie Wilson performing something. I don't remember if it was that. Was it Lonely Teardrops? That was his big hit. I don't remember if it was that or something else. But he did something. I was like, oh, my God, that's the moonwalk. Michael Jackson totally lifted that from him. <laughs> so, yeah, he did not invent that step. Oh, there you go. Oh, and just I, you know what? I don't know what I what I believe about it. I mean, I know that if somebody gets paid off and it gets released, people are going to say stuff about that, and yeah. you'll see dollar signs. That doesn't mean all the accusations are false. It definitely casts an aspersion on them, and I think that's the only the first time I've used the word aspersion in a conversation, at least on this podcast. Let's just say this game is very Michael. It, it really is. It, it really is. It, I mean, whether he designed it or whether he didn't, this game is really is Michael, and you can, it really does seem like it came from his his head, uh, through from his imagination and that sort of thing, and that's cool. Well, that explains the Jerry curl all over it. Oh yeah, well that's true. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there. Uh, Wait, was he still uh, into the Jerry Curl at the time? Because I remember in the in the eighty in the early eighties, he was definitely he's definitely got the Jerry Curl going. I couldn't tell. You, I don't really know. But uh, uh, one final thing here: uh, apparently, Sega arcade games, sixteen uh, bit Sega system. Oh yeah, eight, sixteen or eighteen hardware had a problem with the battery dying in a portion of the machine that. Uh, Holds a uh, encryption code that keeps the game running, and this game was, uh, you know, apparently affected by that as well. But yeah, the uh, suicide battery. You know, obviously, they found workarounds for that because, uh, you know, there are uh, Moonwalker machines out there, including uh, one in my I believe, neighborhood. Uh, yeah, you were saying that. Uh, doesn't uh, Doc have one? Oh, uh, I th- doesn't I... uh, the ghost? Doc definitely has one because the world record on Orcade was set there on October 9th, 2016 by Justin, uh, I don't know how it's pronounced. It might be Kvithil. Bieber? Oh. And um, that was 274,410. Uh, two lives, vitality set to low with normal difficulty. And as long as we're going there, uh, how about any other scores? Oh, sure. That uh, a- Twin Galaxies. This is interesting. Twin Galaxies has a track for the arcade game, but no scores on it. So, really? hey, you want a world record on Twin Galaxies for uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker? Make sure the dip switches are set for uh, three players. Well, okay, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. This is going to be weird why I say that. The vitality has to be set to high, and the difficulty has to be set to uh, hard. There is a okay. MAME track for it, though, on Twin Galaxies. Three lives, high difficulty, I'm sorry, hard difficulty, high vitality, and you get to start with two credits. And uh, Salo Bastos has that record set February 2nd, 2012, or at least verified then. And his score was 293,208. So this is not a particularly high-scoring game. And the reason oh. that I, f- I said that this was kind of weird is that the dip switches for the actual arcade track that has no scores says to set it for three players. The same thing 
is said for the MAME track, but this game was only one player. I think they might mean there... I didn't really get this deep into the game, but I think there might be a dip switch settings that enables three live or three players. I, you know what? I, I want to think that in my research, I did come across the fact that this was also available in a two-player cabinet. Okay, that might be why. That might it might be saying like okay use a use a three player version, a three player cabinet. That's probably whatever. it. There's, uh, yeah, I don't think there was. Uh, I think that was well, obviously it was a dip switch setting, but I don't know if that made the game any harder or not. But you know, there you are. So, uh, so Sean, so, uh, where was the first place you ever played this? At home, in my living no. room. No, yeah, Uh-oh. on Mame. Well. Interestingly, even though I've seen uh, it, I, they have it at uh, Replay Andersonville, not for just literally walking distance from my home. I'm sure I've seen it in other places. I'm sure I saw it maybe at Aladdin's Castle at uh, the uh, Louis Joliet Mall, or maybe that game place at Jefferson Square Mall, both in Joliet. I but I it just, I just never was interested in playing it. I could tell you without fear of contradiction that it was indeed at the Aladdin's castle at the Louis yeah, Mall, because sure that is it. where I first saw that's where I first saw it that's where I first played it and I would play it every now and then and uh what do you think of the game tell me about tell me about the, tell me what you think about the game I'm not a big fan of beat-em-ups I, I'm really not but I was actually pleasantly surprised when I played this because it it just seemed as my first impression was like wow this looks fun I usually don't have that impression with beat-em-ups mm-hmm well, the thing with this game, there's there's something different with it. It is different. Yeah, it's got. It's, it's got I mean, yeah, they've had beat 'em ups based on the Ninja Turtles and the Simpsons and yeah, and uh, and the X Men, which is a game we got to get to at some point. But uh, but this one was different. I mean, obviously, three quarters per you know perspective added a little bit something different to it there. Sure. But this game screamed Michael Jackson. I mean, yes, yeah. it's in the in the title, but the I mean, and he's in the game. Pretty much every detail in this game screamed Michael Jackson. The music didn't hurt. The music did not hurt because the music in this game was rendered really well, too. Yeah. With the exception of the one song, which I am not familiar with, you knew which song was playing. And damned if I did not walk away from that machine every every now and then humming uh, Smooth Criminal. Mm. (laughs) So, uh, again... I have to say that actually is probably my favorite Michael Jackson song. That that the riff in that song is so damn catchy. Mm. But I gotta say, when I was playing it, there was so much about it. I was like, this is just not an, this is not just another beat 'em up. First of no. all, I I noticed that you're never really moving completely horizontally or completely vertically. You're always going at a diagonal. Mm-hmm. At least that's where your path goes. It always goes diagonal, which I thought was is unique. I don't. I, I can't think well, I mean, of that does have a lot to do with the, uh, the three quarters perspective. Well, yeah, of too. course, of course. But it's like, man, you just don't see a lot of that. Like maybe with Kubert and Zaxxon and those things. Right. But, uh, I thought that was an interesting take. And when, uh, the enemies came out and started shooting, it looked like, I was like, oh my God, this is definitely bullet hell. But then I was like, wait a minute, actually, no, they're avoidable. It's definitely avoidable. But that's another, that is one thing with this game too. On the default settings, I won't say anything about the heart or whatever, but. On the default settings of this game, uh, even though this game does have the add-up token to continue or whatever, this is actually a beat-em-up. I could actually see a skilled player get through on one token. Yeah. There, it doesn't because seem... Because you don't... You, you, you take damage, but it doesn't drain you, like, real fast at all. And if you rescue a kid, you could get that damage restored, depending on the situation. Yes. Yeah, this, so this I, game, I, I out like of all... That. I think... Out of, out of all the games that we've played that has a continue feature 
to progress the game or whatever. I think this one is actually the most fair and is uh, I totally agree. one of and this is a game that now I've said there's a few that I don't mind continuing on. This is definitely in my opinion probably the top of the heap of all of the games that have the continue feature in my opinion of all the ones that I liked. I mean, I I, I argued with Terminator 2 Judgment Day that you know, it's telling a story and uh you know, it's basically following the movie and all that, but I didn't have a a problem putting tokens in that one to continue the story this one i even have even less problem with it because as, as we just said this game is fair and it um, is yeah the old, there is again i mentioned it before but if i could only change one thing with this game i think there are places even though you really are only on one level i still think it could use a jump button i think there's a few oh, obstacles yeah. that would be nice to be able to jump over but, I mean, other than that, there's not really a lot bad to say about this game. Um, the yeah. graphics are uh, the graphics are really good. And I have to say, there, there's a variety of different enemies, as I mentioned before. One of them is a little, ro- uh, or like a, a vehicle, robot, or whatever. It looks like the, uh, the two-legged walkers yes. from uh, yes. Vampire Strikes Back. And when you do the dance magic, first of all, everything dances. The zombies, the robots, yeah. everything. Everything except like for that. the boss characters. And... When you get that little two-legged vehicle robot thing dancing, there's like this middle cylinder that moves back and forth, and it looks like he's got a giant dong. That always cracks me up, and it's like a little distracting because I'm just gonna leave it there because we're not talking about those games. But um, so yeah, it looks like it looks very phallic uh, to me. But uh, yeah, it's something to laugh at. And uh, so, how would you rate uh, Moonwalker? This game is an easy four for me. I can't rate it a five. Uh, it, there's there's something I can't put my finger on that just keeps it from just pushing it over the edge. But uh, it's it's a very very high uh, high four for me. And uh, I really like this game. This is this is probably so far the best beat 'em up I think we've talked about. I again I'm not a fan of beat 'em ups. Beat 'em ups bore me, especially The Simpsons. Oh man, that bored the hell out of me. Even yeah, Beavis I and Butthead, I wasn't really a big fan of. I was, the thing about Beavis and Butthead that attracted me was like the funniness. That was it. Not, the playability, not so much. I did well, like the mini games. That was a prototype too. So yeah, it's very that true. Consideration. But yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just not a big fan of beat 'em ups, which is why I'm surprised uh, to say this that I also have to give Michael Jackson's Moonwalker a four out of five continues. <laughs> Ooh. That's that. It's a little shocking coming from you, but yeah. knowing as how much of a Michael Jackson fan Nothing you are, nothing to do with it. Well, you know, it's got to have something. Okay, maybe to do a little bit because I because I was such a huge fan and I knew a lot about Michael Jackson. I could I could look in there and say, oh, this is so Michael Jackson. Now and that's I could, what made I can understand what you're saying when you would said you would go to the arcade seat, you would never play it because I wasn't uh, a fan. Because when it, it was does out. sound silly. It sounds silly. When you see something with a, such a huge name like Michael Jackson's appear on a product, you're thinking the product cannot... Even Michael Jackson, you think, it just cannot be that good. I'll tell you what, though. If this had come out in 1983, you better believe I would have been all over that machine. Oh, man, I got to play that. got to play it. <laughs> but by the time... 19, when was this? 88 when it came out? Uh, 90. 90? Yeah, by that time, yeah. I was like, Michael Jackson, who the hell cares about him anymore? And... oh. It wasn't. Cool. Oh no! Keep going. It wasn't cool for someone my age to like Michael Jackson, and I, I didn't at the time. In retrospect, I, I was kind of a little bit too, not uh, 
fair in that judgment. So I wouldn't I wouldn't have wanted to play it. Plus, I'm thinking, oh my god, this is so self indulgent. But of course, when you think about it, when you have all the awards, the golden golden platinum mm-hmm. albums, and the success that Michael Jackson had, he damn well had a right to be self indulgent. You know, I think there's really only two musicians in history that really has a right to be self-indulgent and arrogant, and that would be Michael Jackson and Prince. Oh, Prince for sure, yeah. That would have been neat to see a Prince game. Oh, yeah. he, yeah, yeah. It would be a color-matching game, but it would be so easy because everything would be purple. Well, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> but uh, it, just, just one more thing I just want to uh, leave on, then I'm ready to, to uh, change to the other game if you are. All this talk about Michael Jackson, I have to share this. My all-time favorite Michael Jackson thing ever is actually from when he was with the Jackson 5. It was a song oh. off of their second album. It was called the song the album was called ABC. By the way, you know what the name of their third album was? No. Very artistically titled here. The name of the Jackson 5's third album was Third Album. Ooh. But on their ABC album, they did a cover of Stevie Wonder's Don't Know Why I Love You, and it kicks so much ass. It really does. And I swear, three minutes and 23 seconds in, you can almost hear a mic drop. The production is awesome, and Michael Jackson sings the shit out of it. It's like amazing. It is so amazing. And... Wow, it's way better than Stevie Wonder's version, I gotta say. Oh, fun fact about Don't Know Why I Love You. That was originally an A-side of a single for Stevie Wonder, but there was Uh a disc jockey in Chicago who didn't like the song, so he flipped the record over and played the B-side instead, and that's what became a massive hit, and the B-side was My Sherry Amour. My Sherry Amour. Which I don't like at all, but hey. I like that song. Although I have to, th- I have to say that um, his uh, his best song is uh, is either Superstition or um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on it. Um, it's the one where he's naming off all the mu- uh, the musicians. Um, ah, man, my memory is like going. I oh gosh, that yes, 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 Sir Duke. Sir Duke, that's it about Duke Ellington and the music and and uh, the black musicians from that that time. That's a great song. I love that one. No, but, I think, uh, we're not I think, talking I think about my favorite Stevie song. This one. It's off a talking book. You just got everything queued up. I am impressed. It's uh, it's called Maybe Your Baby. It's off Talking Book. It's from, uh, I think it's the second of his classic five. Oh, my uh-huh. God. He turns the funk up so much. Crank out Maybe Get Your Baby and out. crank the bass all the way up on there. Oh, my God. Ooh. Anyway. That- I will have to listen to that. Thank you for the recommendation. Uh, of course, uh, one other thing. Stevie Wonder, Sesame Street. Look it up on YouTube. You're welcome. Oh, God. I remember that. I remember that. Uh, one last thing about Moonwalker. Yes. I love the animation of Bubbles the Chimp. <laughs> that, if that does not make you smile, you you do not have a that sense is, of humor. That is so true. That is so true. But, so, um, uh, all right. Anyway. You know so, what? Yeah. Thinking about it, uh? that is something this game actually had over The Simpsons. Whereas The Simpsons is based on a comedy or whatever, this game has a sense of uh, a sense of humor, and The Simpsons does too. But the one thing the Simpsons game lacked that this has is a sense of playfulness. Huh. 
I'm just thinking about that because this does have, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in here that's dark, but there's also a playfulness to it. It's like, an innocence, if you will. What if I won't? Well, you will. Huh. Anyway, uh, anyway, anyway, let's. Yeah, that's enough about right, Moonwalker. Right, uh, yeah. Great game. Moonwalker, Moonwalker's but done. Well, we both uh, play it. rated it. You will four not regret. Of, yep, yep. It's, it's a four fun game. Four out of five. I'll Both definitely go back to it, especially if I see the actual machine somewhere. Uh, hey, you know what? Next time we go to Galloping Ghost, you and me can play it, and we'll play... Uh, which do you want to play, black or play. white? How about blue? Uh, you don't want to play black or white? No. Ah, I, was, I was trying to get you to drip in the it's been done. again. It's been mm. done. Let's not overdo it. But we'll never do the joke again. <sighs> yeah, I know, because we never, ever, ever do the same joke more than once. Watch out for snakes. <laughs> All righty. Watch out for snakes. There we go. Sorry, okay, I had there the we go. crank down. I was wondering. All right, let's move on then. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to uh, something else. Um, and that something else is, um, oh, yes, uh, Trivial Pursuit. Huzzah! Huzzah, Trivial Pursuit. Oh, and uh, huzzah to uh, Michael Jackson Moonwalker, too. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I think I did say that actually. Oh, you did. Oh, okay. I'm. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did. I don't know. But you can never say huzzah too much to that. Yeah, game. I don't remember waking up this morning. So, hey, now you're what? stealing my jokes. I adapted it, okay? Just like oh, okay. Bally Sente did with Trivial Pursuit in 1984. Ooh, good segue. Thank you. Uh, I don't think we talked about Sente, did we? No, we didn't. And. Uh, there's actually a little bit of a tie-in to some of the news we talked about. Yeah, earlier. absolutely. Well, Sente Technologies started out in 1982, except they were called Vidia or Videa. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. And uh, I'm just going to say Vidia. So that way it's not, I sound like a middle-aged Vidya. New Yorker. We're playing Vidia games. Yeah, you're going to play a Vidia. You know? But uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, uh, they their first game was a game called Gridly. And uh, we've actually mentioned Gridly once before. And uh, the, as far as I'm concerned, the fame to claim of Gridley was that when it was released on iOS, the developer had hidden MAME inside it. And if you had a way to access the file system of iOS, you could actually drop MAME ROMs into it and play it. Nice. I don't know if it's still there. I mean, this was years ago when this I was I want to think out. they took it out of the store because I'm of sure that. They I'm surprised they didn't catch that because... Apple, when you submit an app to the App Store, they have a pretty strict system. Like, someone actually examines your code to make sure you don't have anything malicious inside it. Now, real quick, is is MAME actually available on the Apple iOS Store? No. Okay. No, no emulation at all for copyright reasons. That's one reason I like Android. And yeah, because the the Android store, you, there's no there there's there are absolutely no checks. Anybody can write anything, put it up, and it's there. Which is why there's so much malware in Android. But anyway, uh, yeah, you but can, we, there I is have a, MAME. So. There is a version of MAME for iOS providing that you have jailbroken. jailbroken. Yep. But anyway, having said all that, uh, Video wanted to be involved in both the arcade market and the home console market. But the 1983 video game crash kind of put the kibosh on the console idea. Remember, the uh, game crash didn't really affect arcades all that much, it was more the home console. Not really, no. So what happened was um, a little bit more history of Videa. Nolan Bushnell left Atari in 1978, and when he left Atari, he signed a non-compete clause that forbade him from working in the video game industry until November of 83. 
1983 rolls around. Bushnell says, you know what? My non-compete's about to expire. I want to get back into the video game business. But I don't want to have to start from the ground up again. So what he did was his Pizza Time Theater Company, uh, also known as what? Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. Pizza Time Theater Company signed an agreement. They published an intent to buy out Videa in January of 83. And the purchase actually happened in April of 1983. Nolan Bushnell's company bought out Videa. Well, when was uh, the non-compete clause expiring? Wasn't it March? It was November. November of 83. Oh, I thought it was closer. Yeah, seven months early. So Atari sued Nolan Bushnell. They said, hey, um, that purchase violates your non-compete. So uh, he got in some trouble, but he settled the lawsuit by arranging a licensing agreement that would give Atari the exclusive rights to home versions of (laughs) Videa, Videa, whatever, their arcade games, or Sente as they became known. May, may I tread on your, your thing here? Let me guess what, there was only one game that came out of that deal that was actually ported to an Atari console. Am I correct? Do tell. Which one was that? Hat Trick. Oh, that's true. I forgot about Hat Trick. Yeah. Yeah, on the Atari 7800. And it's probably the worst sports game on the console. Have you played Touchdown Football? Well, It's the worst sports game on the console of games which I currently own. <laughs> Oh, yeah, try out Touchdown Football. <laughs> but uh, I will. Yeah, in fact, listen to Phil the No Swear Gamers episode of the 7800 Game by Game podcast. Listen to what I have to say about uh, Touchdown Football and that. It says it all. But anyway, but yeah, what's the Sente? Well, Sente is what Pizza Time Theater renamed Vidia. And uh, that name became official on October 1st, 1983. And the name Sente is a Japanese word that means something along the lines of having the initiative. Again, taken from the game Go, which Atari was taken from. Exactly. And what does Atari mean? The way I heard it is one of them means check and the other one is, let me rephrase that. One is equivalent to check in chess and the other one is equivalent to checkmate in chess. I did not know that. That sounds about right, That's the way I've heard it described. I could be wrong on that. And it turns out that uh, apparently in Japan, people will use that word Atari, lowercase a, if somebody wins the lottery or if somebody makes a prediction that comes true. So there's a little bit of fortuitousness uh, in that word, in the word Atari. But we're talking about Sente right now. If you could say that there's a claim to fame for Sente, it's the Sente Arcade Computer 1 and 2 system, or the SAC system as it's known. And uh, what's the SAC system? It is a arcade cabinet that uses interchangeable cartridges. And that was a new idea for the time. We've seen kind of interchangeable things before with the Deco system that Data East had, but that was based Mm -hmm. on cassette tapes, not cartridges. Anyway, that's how um, Sente started out. That's their claim to fame. So where does Bally come in? Well, Bally comes in when Pizza Time Theater Company files for bankruptcy in December of 1983. Uh, Basically, I think there was too much money spent on the Pizza Time side of things. They didn't have enough money to keep the business going, so they sold Sente to Bally for $3.9 million in uh, May of 1984, and um, Bally Sente would then release 21 games from then until they closed up shop in 1988, with its last arcade system being based around the SAC-3 system, which uh, I had to mention because for 13 years, my one and only computer was an Amiga, and the SAC-3 was built around an Amiga 500. Oh, weird. Neat. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's Bally Sente. Now, 
let's talk about the Trivial Pursuit game. Uh, thing is, I was not really able to find out much about the Trivial Pursuit arcade game. I really wasn't. And I have to say, as far as that goes, in doing research to uh, for the Nolan Bushnell story, uh, I happened upon uh, having access to, uh, and I can't say how, having access to people that worked in Atari uh, in the 70s and 80s, and I put feelers out to see if maybe anybody there uh, went with Nolan over to Sente, maybe if we could find any more background on the game, but sadly, I couldn't find any uh, anything else out about it. I do appreciate you trying on behalf of this podcast, and uh, what I can do is uh, tell you a little bit a little bit about uh, Trivial Pursuit as a game itself. Uh, I'll try to be as brief as possible because there's a oh man, I just went on in my notes because it was just so fascinating. But uh, I know I I actually nodded off a little bit reading your notes for this one because they're so boring. Oh yeah, well that's because I don't have the attention span. Yeah, but um, anyway, so Trivial Pursuit as a it was a hugely popular board game and it was designed by Scott Abbott who was sports editor for the Canadian Press. And his partner in the design was the late Chris Haney, who was photo editor for the Montreal Gazette, excuse me, the Montreal Gazette. And uh, so one day in 1979, they decided, hey, let's play a game of Scrabble, but they saw that they were missing some pieces. So they're like, you know what, let's come up with our own game so we know the pieces are all there. So they knocked down a couple of beers, and then they decided to design a trivia game. So they recruited the help of John Haney, who was Chris's older brother, and Ed Werner, whom John Haney knew when they were both students at Colgate University. So November 10th, 1981, Trivial Pursuit was trademarked, and uh, Scott Abbott's mother lent a few thousand dollars to the team, and they called themselves Horn Abbott. They released the game in stores later on in November, and they charged $15 a game for Trivial Pursuit. Uh, There is a little problem, though. Uh, It costs $75 to make, which, uh, yeah, so they operated a little bit of a loss. But uh, that problem changed when Selcho and Ryder bought the distribution rights to Trivial Pursuit in 1983. And the interesting thing is, what game were they going to be playing when they were inspired to do Trivial Pursuit? Hmm. Scrabble. Oh, and yeah. Who distributed, mm-hmm. yeah. Who, dis- mm-hmm. who distributed Scrabble? Selcho and Ryder. Yep. For those of you who've never played Trivial Pursuit or who never played it correctly, at least, uh, it is a board game, and the playing pieces are six little um, circular kind of pie thingies of different colors. On the classic sets, I actually have a more recent uh, 80s Trivial Pursuit set, and it's got three additional uh, special, or is it three or four uh, special pieces? Uh, one of them is a home computer, one of them is a CD, and one of them is a Care Bear. All right, I have a follow-up question uh, for that after I get around to uh, this. But, okay. Uh, it's for between two and six players inclusive, and uh, each player would take turns rolling a six-sided die while moving the playing piece around a giant wheel that had six spokes coming out of the center. And uh, you can move any way you want on the board, forwards, backwards, down a spoke, up a spoke, whatever. And each space on the board had a little design on it, and it was color-coded, well, except for spaces that were labeled roll again, and if you landed on that, you rolled again and moved to the proper space, but... uh, the color represent, and you could easily get involved in a game where people could be like hitting roll, oh, yeah. roll again for like five, ten minutes. Yeah, you you hit, you land on a roll again. Uh, space. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but you yeah. roll, you land on a roll again space, and you keep rolling twos and fours. You could be playing that all night. Oh heck yeah! But each of the spaces on the board they represented a category depending on what color it was, and when your playing piece landed on a colored space, 
you were asked a trivia question from a deck of cards, and the question came from whatever category's color matched that of the space you were on. And because the spaces were actually color-coded and not directly tied to specific categories, that opened the door for supplementary decks of trivia cards with different categories, and that includes from third parties, actually. Now, might I say uh, one thing that really ticks me off about Trivial Pursuit, back when the game was was popular, you could buy supplemental packs. You could buy, yep. like, today's expansions for, you know, different card games. Now... You cannot buy just card packs. You have to buy a whole new game set. Really? I've not seen individual uh, brand new uh, Trivial Pursuit card sets anymore. You have to buy wow. a whole new game, which really sucks in my opinion. But but yeah, let's, uh, but the other decks, there were several of them. Uh, the original other decks, there was uh, the, well, the one that came with the board game was the Genus or Gainus edition, depending on how proper your Latin is. It was not Genius Edition. I had oh, no. so many arguments with genius. people. Yes. There is no, no I, in I it. thank you. Yeah. It, it's, was, it's one thing to pronounce it genus. It's another thing to pro- pronounce it genus. I could go either way on that, but you definitely do not pronounce it genius. It's supposed to be genus, but oh well. Really? Yep. I learned something today. Yep. Yep. I'm glad I took that Latin class. But anyway, <laughs> uh, there was that one that, that came with the board. There was Baby Boomer Edition. Uh, the Silver Screen Edition, All-Star Sports Edition. Um, I, I don't remember if this was one of the original sets, but it definitely came out during the original lifespan. There was the RPM Edition, which was all music. And there was the Genus 2 Edition. And there were actually two different versions of that at first. There was oh? uh, you, could, you could get that with the full game, or you could get oh. just the standalone card sets. Yeah, because I've got... Uh, okay, I've got the Genus, and uh, I did look try looking for my... Uh Oh, do tell. My, uh, my, uh, I had a set of defective Trivial Pursuit cards uh, from my original set, and I know I've got them somewhere. I cannot find them, but I know I still have them. But what happened was, is in the early decks, I don't know if they're in the current ones, but on the front of the, of the card, on the question side, it would have a little number, and the back would have a little number as well. And I'm assuming that was just to sync, to sync the sides up at the printing plant. Yes. Uh, but what happened was, is it seemed like all of the sixes, nines, zeros, and eights got confused. And like about, had to have been like 50 cards. I counted uh, 60. 60? Okay. Yep. And uh, what happened was they would have, a lot of, a lot of the, all of the answers were wrong on these cards. They, they had the answers just, to the wrong, they had the answers to the wrong questions on the back. That's right. what it was. Uh, but uh, what was the one that you, you, there was one that you remembered what the hell was the question? There, there um, were two. I will, let me t- let me tell you about the two that I remember. There was one, and I, I I remember telling my wife about this. She loved this one in particular. One of the questions was, "What were the names of the warring factions in West Side Story?" Yes. According to your mismatched Trivial Pursuit questions, the answer was the Beach Boys. And if you know <laughs> yes. anything about the Beach Boys, that is that is beyond true. <laughs> the warring faction. Oh but there was my another goodness. one. The other card that I remember, I I just about suffocated. I was laughing so hard when I saw this. The question side read, from what two words does the meat product spam take its name? I think that's verbatim, by the way. If you flip the card over to the answer side, the answer said, Leon Trotsky. Yes. <laughs> yes, that was the one. Oh my God, that was the greatest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. 
And it was all like nonsense like that. It was like, what was the name of the person who assassinated John F. Kennedy? And the answer on the other side would be something like blue. Yeah, I actually used a couple of those cards when I, because I, uh, that was when I was on the radio in college and we were doing a giveaway, like we give away bumper stickers or something. And so I was using that. I'd have people call in and say, hey, we got mismatched trivia coming up. So call in and uh, you can play. And I'd put, I'd uh, answer the phone off the air and I'd tell the, I'd explain it to the person. I'd say, okay, here's the answer I want you to say. And, you know, we'll send you the prize and everything. <laughs> and so they, they would do that. So I would, so when I put the caller on the air, hey, who's this? Okay, here's your question. And, and I would, and she would say the wrong answer, of course. And, uh, <laughs> and the thing is like Bob Zach, who was the general manager, he said, yeah, don't, don't do that any, anymore. It's just, it, it's too, you had to be there. He said, in fact, I was really, I was really interested in the real answer when you were asking those. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had to, I, I had to stop doing that. I had to come up with another way to give stuff away. But like I was saying, so yeah, there's the genus two edition, which was available both standalone and with the. Uh, full set, the full game, and the Young Players Edition, which also was available in both standalone form and as a complete game. And, oh, there was also the Silver Screen Edition and All-Star Sports Edition. Mm -hmm. I don't think I mentioned those. And they were all, I had all those sets. Uh, I still have, well, actually, I did. I never did have the Young Players Edition or the RPM Edition, which is the one I, I really think wanted. early in the 90s, early in the 90s, they released an 80s uh, yes, set. Yes, they did. Yeah, there was that. And, I th uh, and that was the traditional card set. But later on, they had released another 80s set, yeah. which is the one I was talking about. Yeah, they had special editions. Like, I think uh, to celebrate the reopening of the Statue of Liberty, they put out a special America edition or something. I have that one. It's called the Welcome to America okay. edition. And there's also a special Saturday Night Live edition. My wife and I actually have that. We got it for a wedding present or something. Oh, neat. And I don't think we ever played it. <laughs> I don't, we, we still have, have to it. rectify that sometime. Oh, maybe I'll bring that to Midwest Gaming Classic. Oh, there you yeah. go. Oh, uh, so so that's... Uh, and there was also... I got this as a Christmas present, like in 85 or something, a game called Trivia Fever, which had... Trivial Pursuit compatible decks of cards. It was a completely different game itself. It was it wasn't a board game, but it was a completely different game. But you could use the cards with Trivial Pursuit because they were they oh. were all color coded and uh, they they synced That's up. Cool. So I had that as well. And oh, the other thing I want to say about Genus Two Edition, there were some inaccuracies in the original Genus Edition. Genus Two actually had some of those same questions, but a little bit more accurate. They were mostly new questions, but they, but uh, the ones that weren't new were basically corrected versions of the old ones. Um, I have to say, one thing I noticed with Genus 2, maybe it's just I pulled the wrong cards or the right cards, as the case may be, but it seemed like every other question was a question about Canada. Huh. Well, uh, where was this game made? Given the history of yeah. it. Given, yeah, given the history of the game, I mean, that would make sense, but I didn't notice that with Genus 1. So, But anyway, getting back to the game itself, um, at the end of each spoke, there was a special color-coded space that you landed on, and if you answered that question correctly, you would earn a colored wedge, color-coded for that category, that would go inside your pie-shaped playing piece. And your goal... Or as we, uh, we called them, we called them pie pieces. Or if you... Give me a piece of pie. Or if you... And if you're playing with real pie, that then you had some. And the goal of the game is to earn a wedge for each of the different categories, the color-coded categories. Once you earn all six of them, what you have to do is make your way to the center, to the hub. 
and then answer a question there. And if you answered the question in the hub after earning all of your pie pieces, you win the game. If you land in that hub, and well, actually, whether or not it's the game-winning question, if you land in the center hub, it's basically a wild space. You choose the category. And um, that's the game right there. Oh, and I do want to add the, I don't know about your experience, but in my experience, the yellow pie pieces always got stuck. And I'd have to take a uh, push pin to pry them out. Uh, I don't remember that so much. It had to do with the fact that they were on like the little, uh, uh, the, the little plastic, uh, you, you when you bought like a model of like a car or something, oh, they had like right. the thing I to hold up pieces. I don't remember. You had to, to twist them off. Oh yeah. And it was interesting in the instructions for the Genus One Edition. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it read, but it was something like, uh, and for matters less pressing, uh, the the plastic pieces that the, uh, the the pies were attached to can make excellent swizzle sticks. Huh. Interesting. Of course, when I had when I first got the game, I didn't know what the hell a swizzle stick was. I was nine years old. So, well, yeah. I was older. <laughs> yeah, and you still are, but um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I know George Harrison used that joke already. But anyway, uh, what else is I going? Oh yeah, there's, and yeah, we're listen all this video game talk we're having, especially because I'm going to talk about more of the board game Trivial Pursuit, and uh, I have to talk about this because it's so fascinating. There were two, at least two major lawsuits. I don't know if there were any more, but there were two that really stand out. Uh, there was a there was a lawsuit filed on October twenty third, nineteen eighty four, by Fred L. Worth. Who is Fred L. Worth? He is the author of a book called the Trivia Encyclopedia, which he wrote in nineteen seventy four. He wrote that book because he thought that trivia would soon become a huge industry. So he was like, you know what? Let me get a head start on that. So he published the book, and then later on, he released a trivia board game that flopped. And that was right around the same time Trivial Pursuit was uh, just coming out on the market. Now, why did Fred Worth sue Horn Abbott, the makers of Trivial Pursuit, asking for $300 million, by the way? Copyright. And what was his claim for copyright? He said that the makers of Trivial Pursuit basically plagiarized from his The Trivia Encyclopedia book. How did he know? Well, there was one giveaway in particular. There was a question in Trivial Pursuit that asked what Columbo's first name was. You turned the card over to get the answer. The answer was Philip. And that question also was included in the Trivia Encyclopedia. So he's like, you know what? That's proof that they lifted from me. I'm suing them. So what do you say about that, Jimmy G? Lawsuit worthy Uh, or not? I guess I could see why there was a lawsuit, but... Yeah, I mean, you, you can't trademark facts. I guess you could trademark the way the question's asked, but yeah, it's kind of iffy. Okay, well, here's a little bit more about that, though. Yeah, you can't copyright facts, really, but here's the thing. Um, it was never actually revealed in the TV show what Columbo's first name was. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yes. Fred Worth fabricated that for his book. A map trap. Exactly. That's the first thing I thought of. I was like, you know what? Jim will like that because he knows all about those uh, copyright traps. I have a uh, Arizona Atlas and in a part of the desert, uh, the DeLorme company in the Atlas put a uh, an illustration of a frog there as a map trap. Oh, man. yeah. There's- map traps are actually a very fascinating subject that uh, I would like to talk about sometime. There is a fascinating article in the Straight Dope about 
uh, copyright traps and maps uh, that we'll have to link in the show notes. So, yeah. But yeah, that's what happened was that uh, Fred Worth put that and other copyright traps in his trivia book and kind of sat back and waited for people to lift them. And uh, turns out that Horn Abbott admitted that they used his book as a source and that they lifted that question and several others nope. from the book. So what do you think happened as a result of that lawsuit? Nope. Well, the judge threw it out because he said you cannot, just like you said before, you cannot copyright facts, number one. And number two, this was more research than anything else. It's just a source for their materials. So if they were to write a bibliography, they would certainly source your book in the bibliography. So that was the ruling in that case. That is interesting. I never even thought about that. How would yeah. you? I mean, obviously you have to do your research somewhere and you would have to, uh, yeah, a, a game doesn't actually give you a, a source for a, a bibliography. Yeah, and uh, Frank Worth. That's interesting. Frank Worth appealed the case and he kept appealing all the way up to the Supreme Court, but he never won. He never won. It was mm -hmm. always ruled in Horn Abbott's favor for the same reason. Now, the other lawsuit, there was a guy in Canada named David Wall who filed a lawsuit against Horn Abbott in 1994. So this was a decade later. What he said was that he was hitchhiking one day and Chris Haney gave him and a friend a ride. And during the ride, David Wall was talking about his idea, so he says, for a trivia board game. And it would include pie-shaped playing pieces. Furthermore... Uh, David Wall said that Chris Haney even called him one day and said, hey, I'm going to turn your idea into a game. Would you like to be an investor? To which he allegedly said, no, thanks, but please name me as the inventor of the game. And uh, David Wall's mother even testified, yep, yep, that's absolutely true. I even saw the drawings of the game and they were dangerously close to the game that actually came out. A little problem, though, is uh, she couldn't produce the drawings. They were either lost or destroyed over the years. Remember, this was 10 years. This was actually 13 years since the first release of Trivial Pursuit. Because hmm. I said it was 1994. And um, the lawsuit itself wasn't actually decided until 2007. 2007, 26 years after the release of Trivial Pursuit. Once again, the lawsuit was decided in Horn Abbott's favor because there was simply a lack of evidence of any wrongdoing. That second lawsuit sounds a lot like the famous Melvin Dumar uh, and uh, Howard Hughes uh, incident made famous in the film Help, uh, Melvin and Howard, where Melvin claimed that Howard Hughes was hitchhiking and said that he would give him a, a lot of his money and then, you know, whatever. It sounds real similar to that. Interesting. Actually. Wow. But anyway, um, I haven't said a peep about the arcade game yet, so I'm going to start peeping about it. In 1984, there was an arcade game released, and um, obviously it was a good time to release an arcade Trivial Pursuit game, because Trivial Pursuit was the number one selling board game. It was massively popular. I remember I wanted that thing so badly for Christmas, and I got it for Christmas. And uh, I asked for it for Christmas instead of buying it myself, because it was an expensive board game. It was like 25 oh, bucks, which was really yeah, expensive was for a board game. The first place I ever actually saw it for sale was actually an educational uh, uh, supply store. I think I saw it at uh, one of those mall bookstores like B. Dalton or something. Maybe even Crown. I don't remember. Back then, it was more of a hoity-toity type game, yeah, so but to speak. I really, really wanted that thing, and I, I'm so glad I got it, too. But, yeah, I remember it being, number one, expensive, and number two, very heavy, too, because of mm -hmm. the card sets. It was a heavy game oh, for, yeah. like compared to, like, Monopoly or Payday or something. But, yeah, it was uh, ideally a great time to release 
a video game based on it. So, uh, I'll talk about the video game itself. Um, just as with the board game, there are different variations of the arcade game. There's an arcade version of Genus, Genus 2, the Young Players Edition, and the All-Star Sports Edition, and the Baby Boomer Edition. There's also a Spanish version called Ataque Trivial, or simply Trivial Pursuit, en Español. And uh, I tried out the Spanish version. I don't really know very much Spanish at all, but from what I can tell, it's just simply the Genus Edition in Spanish. What's interesting about the arcade video game boards is that they're the same color theme as whatever edition you're playing. Like, for example, the Genus Edition, it's a dark blue theme, while the game board in the video game is dark blue. So The, the color scheme matches what the actual board game is. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And like, if you play the All-Star Sports Edition arcade game, you get a green playing field. So it, it works like that. And uh, it's a it's actually a simplified version of the board game. Instead of a six-spoke circular track, your character... Oh, yeah, you don't have a game piece. You have a character, and I'll get to that later. Your character moves around a rectangular board with no spokes. It's just a rectangular board. That's it. There are no roll-again spaces, but there is a die, and the uh, machine's going to roll it for you when it's your turn. And there are two buttons on the control panel that you're going to activate. There's a red button on the left, and there's a green button on the right. And uh, when your die is rolled, the buttons will determine which direction your character moves. If you want to move counterclockwise, you hit the red button. If you want to move clockwise, you will hit the green button. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, Victor and Sean, um, counterclockwise is the real term for anti-clockwise. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, anyway. We love pissing them off. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they're going to kill us. <laughs> What's interesting is, un well, actually, it's not interesting at all, in my opinion, but uh, unlike with the real board game and the in the uh, arcade game, the spaces are all the same color, so they're not color-coded by category. Instead, there's like a little graphical representation of what that category is. For example, if you're playing the Baby Boomer Edition and you land on a space that has a drawing of a newspaper, you're going to get the nightly news category. Oh, by the way, I just want to say the Baby Boomer Edition of the Arcade Trivial Pursuit is so not Baby Boomer at all. It's very 80s contemporary. It really is. There's it was hard... a lot easier than the card set, Baby Boomer. I disagree, but anyway. Oh. <laughs> Um, what happens in the, the arcade game is if you answer a question correctly, you get points. The first question that you answer correctly, assuming it's a regular question that's not going to earn you a pie piece, it's worth 250 points, and the point value goes up for each consecutive question, standard question, I should say, that you answer correctly. So if you answer two correctly in a row, the first one's 250, the next one's 500, and they keep increasing by 250. If you get a question wrong, then you basically do the board game equivalent of losing a life, and the next question's point value starts over at 250 points. If you're playing a multiplayer game, I should mention that the arcade version supports up to four players. If you're in a multiplayer game, if you answer a question correctly, you go again, just like on the board game. Whether it's a single-player game or a multiplayer game, you are allowed three wrong answers. And if you get three wrong answers, the game's over for you. You can adjust the dip switch to allow you uh, up to six wrong answers, actually. 
Oh, by the way, um, there are only four categories in the arcade Trivial Pursuit, so you earn only four pie pieces, and you actually win the game just by earning the four pie pieces. There's no master question after earning the four pie pieces. Once you get all four of them, game's over, you win, and you get a massive bonus that neither Jim nor I were was able to calculate. We couldn't figure out the the rhyme and reason for the bonus. I think when I got it, it was like some. My final score was something like four hundred and thirty thousand, four million three hundred thousand, or something. Yeah, I've noticed that final bonus. Um, sometimes start with a three, sometimes start with a four. Always in the millions of points. Can't yeah. figure it out, and that's that's one reason why. I was really wanting to find uh, anyone that worked on this because I was wanting to figure the the whole bonus thing out on this. Yeah, right, right. That was oh. the most perplexing thing I think we've ever talked about. Yeah, it's it's just craziness. Uh, oh, by the way, the the pie piece questions are worth a thousand, and then twelve fifty, and then fifteen hundred, and then the huge honking million dollar or several million point bonus or whatever. Oh, and when you are presented with a question, by the way, how do you answer the questions? Well, it's kind of a multiple choice thing in a way. What will happen is the question will be presented to you on the screen, and there will also be an answer presented to you on the screen. If you think the answer is correct, you press the green button. If you think the answer is wrong, you press the red button. And if the answer is indeed wrong and you press the red button, you're presented with another question possible answer and you just repeat that process until you either get it wrong or whatever you get it right so i noticed something about that yes Uh, every time i would play it it would never go past four answers okay so maybe that's if it answered the first one wrong or if the first one was the incorrect answer you hit the red button give you the next one if you got to the fourth one the fourth one was always the correct answer this is what i've noticed it is possible I could be wrong on this. Uh, I do need to do more research on this, but I could swear that if you got to the fourth answer, the fourth answer was always the correct one. You might very well be right. So that then that that's the last possible answer. There are only four possible answers that could be correct. Yeah. That's that's usually the case when you have a multiple choice kind of thing with uh, knowledge. So yeah, that's pretty. That's I think pretty the game believable. would actually be a lot easier if the red button, would, instead of what, if, uh, instead of it being an incorrect button, would just be a cycle button to cycle through the answers. Yeah. But that would give you more time to think about the answer yeah. and maybe make the game easier. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, when you get to a pie piece question, what I, what I found interesting is that the pie piece questions don't tell you what category the question is. The regular questions no, do. But when you get a pie piece question, your character starts walking into a room and then there's like this little stage with a proscenium on. I think there's a stage, but there's definitely a proscenium and the question appears under the proscenium and your character turns his or her back toward you and, and looks at the question. I mean, all I it have is- to say, I love the, the little music, musical fanfare the game plays when you get the <laughs> pie piece question correct. But yeah, and by the way, the only possible way to win the game is to earn all four wedges. Even if you're in a multiple player game and you're the only player left, doesn't mean that you won. It just means you were mm-hmm. the last person to lose. Yeah, so, you may yeah. have beaten the pants off of the other player. Exactly. But, but you, doesn't mean you won. Yeah, it's kind of like how uh, if you overbid and the prices, if both players overbid and the price is right, well, guess what? Nobody won. So. <laughs> anyway. Exactly. Oh, 
just got a text from our building manager. He says, uh, make sure you have your water dripping so pipes don't freeze. Okay, great. <laughs> anyway, so that's really all all there is to know, uh, literally all there is to know as far as I know about Trivial Pursuit, at least from the material I was able to gather. Now, did you, so, uh, did, I didn't see this. Did you mention the timer? Uh, there's a timer for each question. Oh, that's right. There is a timer. Um yeah, and you have you have to answer the question within that time. I forgot how long the timer is. I think it's like ten or fifteen seconds, something like that. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, there's not much information out there, and there actually isn't much occurrence of this game. Uh, it's very rare. In fact, there are only two known working copies. Apparently, Arcade.com shows only one, and that's at Fun Spot, and it's the Genus Edition. I did see right now. Well, actually, not maybe not right now, but as of two days ago on eBay, uh, somebody was selling the uh, the Genus Two uh, conversion kit, if you will. It's basically just a new marquee with a question pack. Yes, it's just like yes. on a little card. But that is on eBay as of two days before recording this. And I saw something in my research here that the arcade Trivial Pursuit actually has more questions than the board game. Really. Uh, not by much, like maybe by one or two hundred, but uh, uh, but yeah, they postulated by doing some calculations that there are more questions on the arcade trivia pursuit than there is in the board game. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I think the same site. This the, it's easy, safe to say this game was not horribly popular, even though I pretty much saw it in every arcade I went to. Now that I think about it, I've never but, seen it. But uh, they were postulating it probably could have been better if it was a, a bar top game uh, for bar locations, uh, but. Yeah, that was, from what I understand, not a thing. So I could see that, actually. I could see that being a bar top game. Oh, by the way, you were saying something about characters? Oh, yeah, the characters. Let me uh, talk about the characters. There are four characters from which you can choose. The first character you have to choose is named Baron von Wrightofen. See what they did there? <laughs> and uh, that character looks like a World War I flying ace, really. like Kind of like the Red Baron, G, where they get that from. There is also Cleophactra, who's dressed like uh, Cleopatra, really. And there's also Spartacus, who is uh, dressed in gladiator gear. There's a fourth character that you can pick from, and it is a woman named Billy Genius. Not Genius, but Genius. This time it is Genius. She wears a red low-cut top, showing some cleavage. She wears a white belt, blue pants, possibly jeans, I don't know, and just one white glove. And she maneuvers around the board by moonwalking while the other characters actually walk normally. And I noticed uh, and each one of the characters has their own little theme that plays while they walk around the board. So wait, why, why did I wait so long to introduce the characters? Gee, hmm, we'll talk about that in a moment, but I have to say that the first place I ever saw this game was at the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. And There's I just found today a video of Putt-Putt Golf and Games uh, on Essington Road circa 1989. I guess they installed a snack bar, which I don't remember they'd be in there whenever I was there earlier. But um, they had a Trivial Pursuit machine there, too. Really? Uh, which I don't remember that. And I want to think I maybe saw this at the uh, the Pizza Hut in front of the Louis Joliet Mall as well. Huh. Wow. Uh, Bally Sente. But, well, the Sente division was based out of California, though. So I don't know. Maybe it was a test market for the game. I don't know. But uh, I saw it at, at the very least two locations, possibly a third in Joliet. And um, I have to say right now, I would always play this game. Every time I went to the arcade, I really? always played this game. 
this is one of my most all-time favorite arcade games. Huge fan of trivia games. It's rare when I lose a game of Trivial Pursuit, and I love this game a lot. I think it has got a... It, it, I mean, it simplifies the game for an arcade audience. Uh, it has a lot of really nice... I, I, well, decent graphical touches and uh, musical touches. And the present, I like the presentation. I think the presentation is fine. But again, it's just, it's really pretty much all about the fact that it's a trivia game. And trivia games are not an unknown commodity in arcades. But the thing is, is that in the past, it was all like just simple question and answer with no, nothing to dress it up, whatever. I mean, you huh. go look through a game list in MAME, and uh, there's one, there's like one called like Facts, uh, there's one called Sex Triv. Uh, which is all sex trivia games, which of I course. can't figure that out. Yeah, of course there has to be. There are even and, other um, Trivial Pursuits in name that aren't this. There's like a, a different version released in the 90s. There's a slot yeah. machine mm-hmm. version you can emulate. Why would you emulate a slot machine? I don't know. Or fruit machine if you're wrong. They did uh, swap out uh, Genus uh, Genus 2 and Young Players Edition in the, the machines around the Joliet area. I did notice that. And... um. I'm just going to go ahead right now and, and give my rating. I'm rating this game a five. Really? Yes. I I, like, wow. I love trivia games. I was a huge fan of this one. It was the first trivia game, arcade trivia game, where I think it got the formula right. Uh, I do think that, uh, as the one website I was reading said, that it would probably be a bigger success had they... Um, I think this was Bally uh, Sente's uh, biggest selling machine, actually, now that I think about it. Wow. Wow. Uh, Weird, yeah, because I've really never, ever, ever, ever seen this, ever, ever. But uh, yeah, I, I love trivia games, and this one hit all the right notes, and I think the presentation was fine. Uh, I think the only change I would make is change the incorrect button to a uh, just a cycle button to cycle through the answers, which, to be honest, that's the way I always played it, and that's why I never really got anywhere on it until I realized, oh, that's an incorrect button. Right. So uh, love this game. It's an easy five for me. Wow. You know what? I'm going to rate Trivial Pursuit a two. Whoa, really? Because the thing is, the whole time I was playing it, even though I'm playing it in MAME, um, uh, uh, actually, no, I have seen an arcade version of it because I had one uh, while we were preparing for this so that I could play it in MAME. You know, copyright and everything. Uh, Of course. So uh, anyway, even though I had it, I had the game at my disposal and I could play it as much as I wanted. I felt so ripped off by it. Because really? first of all, it's a watered down trivial pursuit. There's so much missing from it. I got annoyed at how long you had to wait for the characters to like get to their destinations. It's like, geez, just move it to like That I, is I, a common complaint about the game from yeah, what I've I seen have, online. I have a system where if I'm playing Trivial Pursuit and I throw the die, the die, I know exactly what space I'm on. I don't have to go one, two, three, four, five. I know exactly where I'm going, and I'm there. I don't waste any time. I can't wait for Smarticus to saunter over to like six spaces away. I can't. You don't have the wheel the the wheel shaped board which is part which is in, integral to the original game you don't have I think the given hub. the technology the, the arcade technology of the time that they, they pr- I think they pr- probably pretty much had to do it dude i'm pretty sure this was done on a motorola 68000 processor home trivial pursuit computer games were more accurate 
where in but that it way. doesn't have as much to do with the processor as it does have to do with the video display, though. I would argue. I I don't know. I don't know. It's still a mon- same kind of monitor that a but home computer there too, would though, use. Even like, even let's throw that out though. You are in the arcade, and the prob- the thing with the arcade is they have to make money. And how do they make money by putting yeah. letting people put more tokens in the machine? So they had to water it down a bit to keep the game flowing. You know, and, and like that. So uh, I, th- I think maybe the arcade turnover has something to do with, with that as well, yeah, though, I, too. I don't know. It just it, To me, it just doesn't translate well as an arcade game. You're missing two categories. I will say this. I, I, did put, uh, I did put MAME on my phone, and I've been playing the hell out of this game on MAME on my cell phone. Uh, this actually really works well as a cell phone game, this version. It's like, geez, you answer some questions wrong, suddenly the game's over? No, the game's over when you answer the master question right. Again, for an arcade game... You have to do something like that. And the thing is, I don't think there's a continue on it. No, there I, is not. I don't. Th- yeah, you can't continue. So even if you wanted to plunk more quarters into the machine just, just to keep trying and trying, sorry, Charlie. Oh, we should talk about that game, too. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. So, yeah, two continues for me, even though you can't really continue on it. But, hey, I, I don't know. It was just such a disappointment for me. Again, I, mean, to me, I always played this one. Loved it. My One of my favorites. And plus, it's like, you know what? Just play the board game. I mean, yeah, even though it was an expensive board game, enough people had it that if you didn't have it, you certainly knew somebody who had it. You could play the real thing, and it was so much more fun. Again, I think this just just boils down to... This game, I think more so than other, just boils down to taste. Some people don't want to play a trivia game at the arcade. Some people people don't have a problem with it. You know. I know. It is what it is. You know, there's no right or wrong answer unless you agree with me. So, um, that's, and that is probably a wrong answer. So, um, <laughs> that's all I have to say about Trivial Pursuit. So, uh, should we just wrap oh, up? Yeah, uh, yeah, let's uh, reveal the theme, shall we? Yeah, I should mention actually, there are, like I mentioned before, there are home computer Trivial Pursuits, but I don't think there's actually a home conversion of the arcade game, which is actually a secondary theme. Oh, but before we because get Moonwalker into that, doesn't actually have a uh, have a uh, home version yeah. of the arcade game. Yeah, but um, I'm th- pretty sure it doesn't. And the thing is, the home versions, the home computer game versions of Trivial Pursuit, at least from the 80s and probably early 90s, they're much more true in terms of design to the Trivial Pursuit board game. Except there's a little twist in that. I think it's like an alien theme. Like you're you're from another planet and you're traveling around on a flying saucer answering questions. And the thing that kills those versions, I think I mentioned this in a much earlier episode, you would be asked the question, and then the after a few seconds, the answer would pop up on the screen, and then it would ask you, did you get it right? So it was basically... Yes, the, I had that version, and that was stupid. Yeah, I hated that. It was the honor system version. It's like, come on, man. There was Family Feud and Jeopardy on the Coleco Atom, and it didn't have to resort to that. Yeah, I had the Jeopardy on the Commodore 64, and, it, and if you could actually and, type in yep. and open the open-ended response. And those were less powerful computers. Yeah. But, yeah, so, so I don't know anyway. what that, Oh, by but, the way, you know what So, I, anyway, no, that's one theme. That's a secondary theme, but the main theme Before you go is, into that, uh, before you go into that, notice that I didn't say yes. anything about high scores. Oh, Did I forget? why didn't you? Because there aren't any listed anywhere. Nothing on Twin Gee. Galaxies, nothing on Arcade, not even anything on HighScore.com. Nothing. Not even in MAME. Probably because there's only one known machine, and that's at Fun Spot. Well, there are apparently two known machines, but only one listed well, on Arcade. Well, one that we know that you can play, yeah. at the very least. Yeah, and I'm nowhere near Fun Spot. Uh, 
Greg Polender, uh, it's your job to go there and play it and tell us what it's like. I wonder what version of uh, questions it has. Genus. Oh, it is genius. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's right. You did mention that. But anyway, anyway, the main theme for tonight is these are games that have something to do with Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's yes. Moonwalker. Duh. Trivial Pursuit has a character named Billy Genius. And she moonwalks. Figure that out. And she moonwalks. And has one white glove. And also the tertiary theme is that both of these things, Trivial Pursuit and Michael Jackson, really, both very, very, very important to me back around 1984, yeah, 1985. very popular staples of the 80s. Seriously. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. So with that, uh, don't we have people we have to thank? Or, or, or wait, wait. Oh, yeah, we, we should thank- do that first. Yeah. We'll do that, and then we'll an- announce the games for the next episode. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to announce the game and have people turn off turn off the podcast before like they hear. Yes, like, you're going to sit and listen to this podcast while we list while we list yes. the names of the people that so graciously help us out. Yes, and those people, we thank you very much. D. Alex, thank you. Atari Bytes Podcast, thank you. Rory Coleman, Michael D'Angelo, Kyle Etter, Tim Foley, Art Guglielmo, Nate Lockhart. Greg Polander. Did I talk about him today? Anyway, uh, Jonas Rulo, Keith Sheehan, Underground Retrocade, and Richard Valdez. Guys, thank you all so much. You have no idea how much we appreciate that. Uh, if you wish to be added to that and help us out uh, monetarily, uh, especially because, uh, as you may have heard, uh, I'm having some technical difficulties and maybe some upgraded equipment could help out with it. <laughs> uh, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And, uh, of course, thanks, as always, to our friend Steve Toohey, who, as of uh, this recording, is celebrating five years tobacco-free. Congratulations, Steve. Thank you to Steve and uh, the wonderful folks over at Toohey-ville. Indeed. And with that, let us uh, reveal the games for next episode. Oh, let us. Yes. Yes, let us. Mm, Let's go down to Whopper, actually. The games we will be talking about are Contra and Ikari Warriors. Ooh, Contra and, and Akari Warriors. Warriors. Yes. Warriors. Mm-hmm. Oh, that should so pique this interest. Is, uh, Sean, I mean, so uh, this is Sean, excuse me, I mean, this is Lazy Mouth. And that is Lazy Mouth. And I am Jim. Yes, and uh, we'll talk to you again, episode 21, give or take a couple of weeks, uh, for episode 71, actually. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, we're backing up in time, apparently. But anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. And as always, as always... Passenger drone. Indeed. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash PieFactoryPodcast. They found me. Chuck Swirsky and the world and the greatest world newspaper nerds. That's actually a very good impersonation. Billy Mitchell, I mean, yeah, we met him. We said he's a nice guy. Mother <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's a great clip. <laughs>